OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Scars of Mirrodin is coming soon, and StarCityGames.com is your source for boxes, cases, fat packs, intro packs, complete sets, and singles. Head on over to StarCityGames.com and pre-order Scars of Mirrodin today. Hi, this is Ken Nagel. This is Patrick Chapin. Hi, this is Evan Irwin. You're listening to the OMPG Taps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 36 of OMTG Taps. This is Joey Pasco, and ever conspicuous in his absence is Big Head Joe. This is part two of our coverage of U.S. Nationals, and again, we're joined by quite the cast of characters. First up, we talked to Patrick Chapin about the tournament itself and the current state of standard as we approach the October rotation. Next, we have a Top 8 Magic-style dinner cast with Michael Flores, Gavin Verhey, Brian Kowal, and Lauren Muldrifting Lee, followed by a session with both Chapin and Flores discussing everything from the Hall of Fame to lightsabers and everything in between. Lastly, our good friend Adam Staborski of Daily MTG and Mana Nation gives us a look back at what the weekend was like for him and the coverage team. We'll be back next week with our usual antics and perhaps a couple of surprises as well. And you diehard fans will want to keep your browsers tuned to IWantMyMTG.com for a bonus one year later episode coming in early September. Let's go! I'm here with Patrick Chapin, sitting here in front of a, uh, a dormant Ascension game. So how's it going, Patrick? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, actually, I have to babysit the Ascension game right now because uh, like Dave Williams, Paul Ritzel, and Matt Sperling are in the middle of the game, and then they had to go play around. They're playing in the three-man team tournament. So they're just playing Ascension in between rounds, I guess? Yeah, this like... is... The, well, see, they came into this weekend saying, okay, we're going to play test for extended. Mm-hmm. Amsterdam between every round. <laughs> And this is uh, apparently their playtesting for extended. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so you were talking about Jace a couple minutes ago. You want to talk about that? Now, I mean, Jace is a topic that everybody asked you about, but you just said something that was sort of interesting to me. I know you think you've always thought Jace was was you know, the yeah, real deal, right? I, mean, yeah, I guess the real deal in the sense that I think he's too good. Right. So, like, I think he's too good, and I don't normally think cards are too good. That's what I was. That's what I was surprised to hear you say that you think Jace is actually too good. I think Jace might be a mistake. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what the future holds, but it's kind of like, I mean, as good as he is in Type 2, mm-hmm. like, unlike Cryptic Command, Cryptic Command was a mistake, but it was, like, pretty unbelievable in Type 2, but it was fine in higher power formats. Jace actually gets, like, better the higher up the format, you know? Okay. Like, Jace is unbelievable in Legacy. So good in Legacy. And he's so good in Vintage. He's, like, one of the best Vintage cards. One of the best cards in every format he's legal. And you uh, and you mentioned part of that is because people don't kill him in those formats. Like oh yeah, yeah. and uh, like he's awesome in type two just because he's more you know brute force power than the other cards. But in like legacy and vintage, half over half your opponents can never kill a Jace. He should just brainstorm every turn. Yeah. In powered format, like in type two, you usually use all his different abilities. Right. In vintage, you usually just brainstorm all the time. Yeah, free brainstorm. Seems, seems Most good, of the time, right? You know, like, or you plus two him sometimes if he's got to survive some weird attack or something. Right. Or you unsummon, like, a, I guess, a Dark Steel Colossus or something. But Yeah, that seems like a good plan. Um, so, you want to talk about what you played this weekend? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But the one thing I did want to add about Jace, oh, go the real reason I think he might be a problem, a mistake, is that 
I think it's a really bad thing for the long-term, like, long-term design standpoint. Like, there's this impossible bar. You know, like, for instance, now you have the, oh, M11. Oh, it didn't have Jace the Mind Sculptor in it? Now we're disappointed. Right. A bunch of people are, oh, we want Jace the Mind Sculptor in M11. You don't really want that card to continue. <laughs> and then, in addition, like, uh, it, it makes it so the other Planeswalkers in the future look bad, because, I mean, what's the next blue Planeswalker going to be? The next... Blue Planeswalker that's not as good as Jason Lenskulker? Yeah. So, I don't know. And even the four abilities kind of thing. Like, he's, he's got four abilities. Are they going to continue that? Well, they're going to. I think that that's definitely a good thing, and it's good yeah. that they use the... I, I agree with using that equity on Jace the first time. Okay. But I just think it's kind of... I don't know. It's going to be kind of annoying to try to design Planeswalkers that excite people when... Like... I mean, people just think Jason Lenskulker is the bar. They just think that's what's supposed to be. Yeah. And... Uh, and now in the future they're going to be disappointed because things aren't going to live up to the bar. So, sorry. So, your deck this weekend. Yeah. What it, so, it, from what I could see, it was uh, kind of... It looks like blue-white control splashing black. Yeah, I played a Esper deck, um, but without any creatures. Okay. Like a, I was just splashing black for Creeping Tar Pit, uh, Esper Charm. Before Creeping Tar Pit, for Esper Charm, one Identity Crisis and two Doom Blades. Okay. And then I have two Grave Titans in the sideboard for more black. And a Zealous Persecution and another Identity Crisis. So Zealous Persecution, that's an interesting choice. What was that coming in against? People with Lotus Cobras, Noble Hierarchs, and Birds of Paradise primarily. Just like a half-price Wrath, kind of. Yeah, uh, some of those decks, especially if they have Planeswalkers, can be really problematic for me. Like, Bant Bant was my worst matchup, Mm -hmm. and so... uh, we're trying to figure out a way to not get behind where they can just, you know, use a leak to protect a Jace or something. Okay. You know, because sometimes if they get a Cobra or a Bird or whatever, by turn three they're just going Jace protect, and it's or Elspeth protect. And right. So what did you uh, what did you think of this format coming in? You like like it? Like, eh, it's okay. Like I, I mean, I guess I like it. It's just I like dynamic. Like I like things changing. Right. And I like having an abu- I like having uh, formats that are abusable. Right. I like having a format. So loud. Yeah, no. There you hey, go. We're trying to record, all right? <laughs> I'm trying to get uh, Ascension ordered for uh, my the store I work for. Okay, then keep walking. I'll I'm getting up for. <laughs> all right, talk to you later. I'm going to record now. Bye. He just ruined it. He was Good. right in mid thought. Now he's saying he liked dynamic formats that like changing, right? So. Uh yeah, I guess I like a, like I don't like balanced formats that much. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. No, I know. I mean, a lot of people do, which is why I think Type 2 would be fine for a lot of people. Like, people who want to build a deck and then play it over and over and over again for months and months. Like, Type 2's got, like, every deck's good. You can play, like, ten different things. There's a million different things you can do. If, like, if you just want to have, like, a nice, stable metagame where there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's nothing that needs to be banned. There's no problems. It's not... There's nothing crazy that's changing it. It's just lots of different things that are possible. I mean, it's fine. It's just hard to get a big edge because... I find that the biggest edges can come when, for me anyway, when a format is abusable. Like, if there's a problem with the format, you know? And there's not any problems with Type 2. I like formats that have problems with them. Like what? Like, like almost every extended format ever. Like, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know, whenever there's just a format that's unbalanced. Like, uh, for instance, I liked Extended in Berlin. Okay, and that, had, that was the Elves. The Elves one, right. Format. So, with that one, I mean, Berlin thing shit, like, surprised everybody and threw everything off balance. But then there was also a great opportunity to see how people were wrongly reacting to that. And then the format evolved, because once people had that information, it completely changed this format where Mono Blue Fairies is good. And then that completely changed this format where Naya is good. And, I mean, 
like you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The format kept evolving and shifting and changing because there kept having there kept being places to really get uh, to break other strategies. But the uh, when there's a like when you know what other people are gonna play mm-hmm. and you can build a deck that beats them like you know 75 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Like I really like have, being able to metagame that hard, you know. Right. Type two right now. You know everything everybody's playing, but the problem is that every deck's like five percent. You know, ten percent, four percent, seven percent, and then on top of that, even the decks that beat the like, even if you have a deck that has a good matchup, you're a sixty forty favorite. Yeah, it's like, not I like mean, a huge. I mean, so there's there aren't that many unwinnable matchups, but the annoying thing is there's a lot of unwinnable games. Okay. You know, there's more unwinnable games and less unwinnable matchups. It's like sometimes you just like they just play Jace the Mind Sculptor, and you're playing with a blue white, and you're like, oh, well, I guess I cannot possibly win. Or they're like. <laughs> You know, or they play Elspeth, and if you just, you know, if you're playing a control deck, or if you're playing a beatdown deck, they just go, all right, uh, like Wall of Omens, Wall of Omens, or just Spreading Seas, Spreading Seas, or they're just Pyromancer's Ascension, and they just randomly kill you on five. So, uh, so you you guys were playing yesterday, you and Flores were playing. Yeah. He, he was playing. I guess they said the deck is Soul Sisters or something like that? Yeah, is that Soul Sisters is the name of the deck, and it's the mono-white you know, life gain we, deck. Goes. We asked Conley, it's not named after the damn train song, it's named after, like, like more like Motown, Motown he, said. he said. So he, so he named the deck after, Mo, like, kind of a Motown thing, Soul Sisters. Conley got, named Kyle Sanchez's deck after the Motown. He, yeah, what he said was Kyle was the closest to to, to what he ended up designing, but yeah, he I, he didn't oh, refer actually, to it as Kyle's Kyle's was deck. a bit different, though. Yeah, Kyle's I think Kyle ran different. Lone Missionary, which so did Tom Ross. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the Lotus Con- Cobra? Right, the, it's okay. The the yeah the Lotus Cobra of that deck, but uh, but Conley ran Core Firewalker in that slot, and there may have been a couple other differences, but I kind of uh, like Lone Missionary better. Yeah, but I don't know. I only play against Pyromancer's Ascension, so yeah. So apparently the combo was Lone Missionary and uh, and Core Skyfisher being able to just keep like, and you have multiple Soul Wardens in play, and you're just I mean you don't even need necessarily. Wait, wait what's the Core Firewalker have to do with that? I'm sorry, the, I, Core Skyfisher. Core Skyfisher. Right. So. Oh yeah, of course. Skyfisher, Skyfisher with, with Lone Missionary, missionary. gains you some life, if, especially if you have multiple Soul Wardens or Souls yeah, attendant yeah, on the board. Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing about Core Firewalker is that he com- combines with the Pride Mate, though, right? Like the the Ajani guy, the two mana guy. Like if you play against a red deck, although I guess they're just going to burn him anyway. Yeah. I don't know the 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 Core Skyfisher. Tom said ended up not being very good for him. Okay, so he actually he used it, but didn't, he would have changed. He that, had one in his deck, and he wished he just didn't play it. Okay, that's interesting to hear too. Mm-hmm. We we didn't get Tom's perspective too much, but so you guys were playing that matchup yesterday, the Pyromancer Ascension against the the Soul Sisters deck, and I think there was a clear favorite there. And that was that was one. It seemed like it had kind of a, a bigger uh, percentage. I mean, you only played... I, I really don't know. We, I mean, we only played seven games, and... He was on tilt White, for, like, four of them. Well, like. no, 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 it wasn't <laughs> even that. Like, the Mono White deck won 4-3, but, like, it's tough because, like, how many... Like, he must have punted some games, and I must have punted some games, because I yeah. saw, like, little things, like, I just jumped the wrong guy, and he just didn't counter the right spell, and plus little things like uh, getting flooded a certain amount. Like, I really don't even know how that matchup is. I bet it's probably 65-35 for white. Yeah. But, I don't know. Like, having ways to get rid of Ascension and having a relative, a surprisingly fast clock, mm-hmm. the life gain doesn't really matter that much, but I guess it makes the relics into Stone Cold, stone cold Killers after sideboarding. Oh, yeah. That's a good point, too. Um, but, so that's, that's kind of a new deck. 
do you think? Yeah, but yeah, but who does it beat 60-40? Right. It beats a lot of people 60-40, but it doesn't beat anybody 80-20. Or right. Or yeah, so you're saying the the current standard is so balanced, it's just keeping kind of... It's, it's fine, almost, I like the white deck. I think that, like, whoever, act, like, I guess Conley, Kyle, everybody who made that white deck... Oh, yeah, 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 we were only, we were only casting. Oh, thank you. All right, to be continued. All right, so uh, we're back recording here um, in a quieter location. Um, what were we just talking about? Uh, the white deck and, oh, and the for, just the, the new deck in the format is this white deck, but it doesn't have a matchup. Like an incredible matchup. I mean, I guess I guess it's really good against like red decks, right? Mm -hmm. I guess I don't know. It looks... you, you would think it would be right. Well, I, I mean, if they have a spark mage, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they just they I just mean, win, right? I, know, I think it's a little. It's probably kind of fragile to be a mainstream deck, but I think it's hot as a one shot, you know, for this tournament, you know, because right. I bet it's deceptively good against you know, like I don't know, like a Jun deck or something. But it's like from what I understand, it's pretty weak against blue white. So you didn't play against it at all in a tournament? No, I really would have liked to. I think, I think that, uh, I think it's probably just a really bad beatdown deck against Blue White. I think like really Zealous Persecution would have been good in, in that matchup too. <laughs> no question. <laughs> so, uh, so what kind of decks, or, or what kind of, um, I guess, preparation did you do for this tournament? As far as what, what made you decide you wanted to kind of splash black um, well, in, into Blue White? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really even. Go at it from that angle. I actually was just uh, experimenting with a variety of different decks. You know, I tried lots of things: Primeval Titan decks, Fauna Shaman decks, and I was more and more finding that every deck just seems about as good as each other. Yeah. And I was feeling like it would probably be a format where there's a lot of there's actually a lot of play to the games. You know, um, at least the games of the blue decks, where uh, I felt like there's probably a better use of resources to practice with one deck that was a style that I like, because it seemed like there's 10 decks that are all relatively comparable and right. parallel, you know. Um, it would have been sick to play Paramedicine's Ascension a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. But at this point, it's, you know, been adapted for. And uh, so I experimented with um, with a variety of decks, eventually hitting Grixis. And the problem you, know, you come, in, uh, come into with a deck that tries to actually play 7 mana spells on turn 7 is, like, if you play 30 mana, like, you get flooded. Mm -hmm. But if you play 27, you get screwed sometimes. Like you don't have enough. Right. So I was trying to figure out how to how to get enough mana to be able to do everything I wanted without have like in type two we used to have vivid lands which made your mana colors never an issue and then esper charms and Lull drifters to fix your mana. And we don't really, I mean, the format's kind of aggressive to try to fix your mana with three mana draw twos. So plus I, I don't know I, I I guess I tried traumatic visions mm -hmm. and it was okay. I tried the igneous pouncer. It was pretty bad. And, uh, and then I tried Preordain instead of Traumatic Visions. And I was kind of blown away by how good it was. So then mm -hmm. I started adding more, and then I was like, wow, this is this is just super, super good, right? This is just... Because it's way better than it is in a combo deck. It's not that it's better than Ponder, it's that it's mm -hmm. different. Ponder's better if you're looking for a Yawgmoth's Will or a Pyromancer's Ascension or a specific card, a Polymorph, you know? Right. Because it, it looks a little deeper, mm -hmm. especially if you have Shufflers. But in a deck where you're just setting your draws up for value, Preordain is actually super powerful. It's like the amount... Okay, uh, Portent was mm -hmm. a really good card, mm -hmm. and Ponder is so much better than Portent that it's restricted in Vintage, and the difference is mostly just that with Ponder, you draw the card immediately. With, right. with Portent, you have to wait. Portent, you can even do to your opponents, you know? Yeah. But not getting the card immediately is a huge cost. 
but the card was still good. Mm -hmm. So in uh, Serum Visions, Serum Visions is a card that has seen play and extended and even legacy at times. Mm -hmm. And uh, this card is as much better, like uh, Preordain is as much better than Serum Visions as Ponder is to Portent. Except it's even more so because with Portent, you can do it to your opponent. You know, mm -hmm. you're like, to get the Ponder, you're losing that half of it. So I don't yeah. know, just. If you're just going for value, I think that's really big. And then I tried a variety of different decks. The Grixis deck had a little bit of trouble with with, uh, with blue white and with Vengevines, and I kind of wanted to experience and Pyromancer's Ascension. It just had some holes that um, weren't being shored up by brute forcing with Cruel Ultimatum because there's a lot of decks in this format that can get curled and not really care that much. Right. So. Well, yeah. Even the Dredge Vine, like oh, yeah, I'm gonna discard, you know, right. things like that. And I figured out relatively early on I wanted to play main deck Relic of Pretentiouses, because I think there's a lot of different decks that use the graveyard, and the opportunity yeah. cost isn't that high. The, the, our last, last episode, episode we was called talking. Yard Work, because like, we were talking about, like, I was like, why are people not really taking graveyard hate seriously right now in this format, when there's something like Relic that's like readily available? So yeah. minimal cost. Like, exactly. Like, it changes the Naya and Bant matchups so much, of you, like, the, or any of the Vengevine Fauna Shaman matchups. Mm -hmm. you can, if you play a Relic on one, Sometimes you don't even have to kill a Fauna Shaman. Yeah. You could just wait and then Day of Judgment away eventually later anyway. Like, it doesn't, like, they can't even do that much to you, you know? They can try to go through it, but it's... And I think Relic's really good. It's Pyromancer's Ascension, Sun Titan, uh, Knight of the Reliquary, uh, I mean, the Dredgevine, the deck, you right. know, like, I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's, I think I saw you playing a match. Yeah, I played against a Dredgevine guy, and I lead with Relic. Go. Yeah. He's <laughs> game one, he's like, really? I, mean, I didn't even play a land on turn two. <laughs> like I mulligan, didn't play a land on turn two, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll just cycle the relic of Regenitus. Right. Because did you at this is game one? I know, I know what he's playing. playing. Right. And then I'm like, maybe I, maybe I won't cycle the relic of Regenitus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, and I, I think I, I only saw game three of that. Match. Oh yeah, where I I was yeah trying to stabilize, trying to get control, figuring out okay, I'm gonna put out a grave titan, I'll make all these blockers. And then I and then I draw and I chase and I have Day of Judgment and Relic. Yeah, and you were like, so like oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty sick. You were like Day, Relic, like Grave Titan, and and then it was I think yeah, you had man. Jace on like thirteen and Grave, Grave Titan. <laughs> That's like, the match you were telling yeah, me about, where it was like, like Jace was like definitely one of these thousand ways. Do you want me to lethal win? worth of manlands as well? Yeah, you know, seven cards in hand. Yeah, I think you you were like swinging with Esper Charmian in your draw steps. I got six more counter spells. <laughs> it, it was pretty ridiculous from from what I could see, but I only saw that one game. But game one sounds like it was pretty funny too. Just doing the uh, the relic. How many did you main deck? Just two. Just two. Okay. And I was gonna put one sideboard, but I ended up deciding not to just because the matchups where it was helping. I was already getting enough game one that I didn't need the help there. Like the bigger yeah. the, the areas I really needed help in were uh, Bant and Jund. Okay. So a lot of my stuff in my sideboard is dedicated towards Bant and Jund. And also just having enough spells so that against spell decks I can take out some of the removal. I guess I didn't... Uh, Runeflare Trap's actually a horrible matchup for me. I just didn't yeah. test that one yet. Like, I mean, Howling Mind decks often beat up on, P on control decks that can't get rid of Howling Minds. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had to play against that. I played against Ascension, beat that. I had to play against uh, Dredge Vine, beat that. Uh, split 1-1 one -one with red decks. Lost to a blue-black-green Vengevine, Putrid Leech, Jace sort of hybrid, like a bug beat-down deck. I don't know. Huh. Was mm. it, uh, did it, like, blood gas in there at all, or...? Uh, no, he didn't. He didn't play any of okay. He just he played Seagate Oracle, Vengevine, Future Leech, Birds, Chase. Huh. 
Yeah, Doom, uh, Maelstrom Pulse. I feel like I've heard somebody mention a list like that, but it seems like just one of those, like, hey, I'm trying this. And sounds interesting. So you said you beat that one? Yeah. No, I lost oh, that Oh, you one. lost that one. Okay. Yeah, I did better in the draft portion than the type two. Which seems okay. I went, I mean, I went four, no, five, no, five, three, I guess. Yeah, five, three, constructed. I also beat a, a Bant Vengevine deck. Mike okay. Jacob was playing a Squadron Hawk Vengevine Bant deck, and... Fortunately, Drew Relic over time sits there as well. Yeah. How, how did Squadron Hawk seem playing against it? Like, I mean... Oh, it was awesome. Was he, like, just, he was just using it with Fauna Shaman, I guess, or... Was he... And when he, like... So, he's on the draw. He just goes turn one, land go. <laughs> no, he goes turn one, land bird. And then turn two, uh, Squadron Hawks discard Vendron. You know, it's like... Right. Oh, it's, it's a pretty <laughs> fast clock, actually. Yeah. You know? Bad. It does seem pretty good. But, Fortunately, I had the relic, but right, yeah. No. I think Squadron Hawk's really good. What kind of changes would you make to your deck, if any? I guess um, either in hindsight or going forward. I guess is there are there any changes? Or you feel like it was a pretty good good list? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know if I'd change very much. It's pretty happy with pretty happy with the way that it all played out. You know, I think I could have won some of the matches I lost if I if I played tighter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there were some matches I don't think I could have, but. Um, I was pretty happy with it. I used every card in my sideboard quite a bit. And I saw you had Baneslayer in play. Was that sideboard or main? Yeah, sideboard. I don't have any creatures okay. in the main deck. Uh, yeah, in the main deck, the only victory conditions are eight man lands, a Marshall Coup, and four Jaces. Okay. And then, um, yeah, after sideboarding, I board in, uh, against a lot of people, I board in two Baneslayers and two Grave Titans. Mm-hmm. Because uh, against, I mean, against Red, Baneslayer is obviously good anyway, but against Jund, I was finding having some high end creatures. And against Bant, against Bant and Jund, I was really liking having the big creatures that can take over the game. Okay. And a lot of them are just good against various... I mean, it's like so many of these decks are so, so much a hybrid. Basically, you just look at it and you're like, would a Baneslayer be good against him? Uh, okay, then I'll bring it in. Right. <laughs> it seems like Baneslayer's almost fallen out of favor just a little bit, like compared to where it was, because a lot of people are choosing like Sun Titan over it, for Yeah, instance, but that's just because it was overrated before. Right. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it's just overrated. I mean, I think it's a good card, but I think that people always overcompensate for the new information. People generally overcompensate for the new information they get, and they mm-hmm. take whatever the piece of information is and sort of extrapolate it to be much more than it is. Like, for instance, if, you know, if there's some new combo deck that is like uh, a slight favorite versus the expected metagame, mm-hmm. people are like, oh my gosh, some new crazy combo deck we weren't expecting that's, you know, slightly good. It broke the format. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if it's like... Um, uh, oh yeah, I, I I won the you know I won the last two you know I won my uh, I won this PTQ. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that uh, the red white black aggro is the best. You know I won my, my only bad matchup is Jund. You know like I, like I only lost that once, but that was in Swiss and I beat everything else. You know right like I mean, that that's the whole thing like the results oriented thing that people were talking about for a while. Mm-hmm. See, I actually think that that's a misnomer mm-hmm. and that the better argument is not in terms of results oriented. But in terms of being rational with regards to your analysis of the results, because if you can't be oriented by the results, what are you going to be oriented by? Right. <laughs> like what? Your like, okay. You say your principles, your theories, but what are your theories oriented by? All of this is eventually derivative of having actually played the game and having like seeing results that other people are telling you, or you're playing, or you're seeing, or you're in a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all derivative of results of actually playing in games. The problem comes when people overcompensate for new information and aren't rational about it. You know, like, yeah. they, they get some tiny little thing and they think, like, uh, this Magic player top eight two Pro Tours this year and three Grand Prix. That's Kai Booty. Yeah. He's the next Kai Booty. <laughs> you know, like, 
Like people always want to, you know. Yeah, they just want to. It's like hyperbole, kind of. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a lot like that. But people do this outside of magic too. I mean, people do this all the time, you know, where they get a small amount of information and they just assume that it's mu- they they want to make it much more than it is. They want it to be much more meaningful than a fifty three forty seven favorite or something, you know. Right. Um. I actually, I had a, just a, yeah. a question, not so much about like decks or anything, but. I, from from what I gather from like, because I was talking to Craig Wesco last night um, at the hotel bar, and mm-hmm. like he was saying, like he had an opponent who definitely made a few plays that like were suspect. Like he was like, and he said like if he was playing in a pro tour or something, he would have definitely called a judge on the guy because like I was sitting next to him when he did that. And he would have lost if his opponent knew how to defend the argument. I, I it was disappointing because I, I mean, I don't know. I kind of think that he was trying to get credibility. Like, hey, look how how nice I was being. Like compared to because of the recent, the, kind of, yeah, because yeah. all the drama and all that. Like, that's not how you like. <laughs> so what was the what was the play? Just so that okay. So this is this that, is, that, I talked to him about this at length there, last you, night. Right. Um, this is what he told me. So the guys playing some sort of. Um, Deck with Eldrazi, maybe mono green, I don't know. So anyway, the guy goes, taps five lands and a temple, taps his Eye of Ugin, and goes to search. So he's tapped the temple for two to, to, to use, use the eye. He had, didn't have any other mana to do this. Goes to search with the guy, and he was like, no, you can't. You it know. doesn't add two. Right, that's what he's supposed two. to do. Right, right, no, that, no. Right. Right. Right, that's what he's supposed to do. Right, say no, what, you can't. Right, exactly. Right. And that's what he did. Right, but he right. Did. So what's the problem? What would he have done? Would he have cheated in a pro tour? Or no, or, no. Or, apparently, this guy was doing this like multiple times, trying like almost like he was trying. So he to, so he did that, okay? If the guy was doing it multiple times, then you should call a judge. Then you're right. wrong for not calling a judge here. And that's what Craig said. He didn't call a judge. That, and that's, that's just terrible. That's it doesn't he matter. He gave the guy the benefit. Well, the guy was it's like, oh, well, I didn't he, know. Like you said multiple times. Well, then, well, then the guy tried to tap the eye of Ugin for mana. Right, so it was like he oh, multiple plays where he was misusing, misusing his, his the eye of Ugin. Oh, then I think it, no, I think he's wrong for not calling a judge. If you think like either you think it is a big deal or you don't. If you, it doesn't matter if this is a pro tour or U.S. Nationals. This is the national championships. If you think the guy is doing something wrong, you should call a judge. If you don't, you should just be quiet. You know, you right. should just move on. <laughs> like if there's nothing wrong, like right. remember yeah. that thing that you did like a week that you didn't do a week ago that was really bad. Well, you didn't do it, so there's no reason. <laughs> <to talk about. laughs> Like if there's a problem, then there's a problem. Address it. Right. It's just it's pretty black and white. And then yeah. and then fin- finally the guy like Craig had a bane slayer out right. Dude uh-huh. was at five life. Dude. Okay. Uh, oh, dude he had, tried like, to terastodon. He tried to ter- the the guy tried to terastodon targeting like land something and bane slayer. Right. So what what would he do in a pro tour? What would he do? What could you do different? What are you gonna do? Like he's not bidding his bane slayer. Right. Is he going to call a judge and say right. that the guy was trying to misrepresent his terastodon? He could try that. Right. If it's, if do it's you like, think, like, people can untap their land if they tap the wrong spells. If they play spells that are illegal, they just get to put them back in their hand. Like, we're playing under M10 rules here. Like, yeah. I mean, what does he think would happen different in a pro tour? I don't know. I don't know. Well, he was saying that, like, he just felt like... The, like well, after what happened a- is he cannot legally choose that target. Right. It's I mean, his responsibility to maintain the game state as well. He points out that's not a legal target, mm-hmm. and they pick a different target. Right, well, that's what he did. I mean, that's right. what so, he did. So it sounds like he did it exactly right. Right, yeah. right. Well, so what would be so, different? So I, yeah, I, I guess the, the the thing is, is almost like, why did he bring it up as as if 
Why well, he was why saying that he thought that the guy was. He, right? he was. He was just saying that like he thought the guy was being a little like a little shady. Then you should have called a judge. He's morally responsible to call a judge. If he thinks the guy, like, either he thinks the guy was shady or not. If he thinks the guy was cheating, call a judge because how do you know the guy's not gonna cheat next round? Right. right. But the guy's been round? doing it the whole tournament. Right. If you think like the guy is doing something shady, now from the looks of it, I don't know. I don't know if the guy, like, to me, the guy didn't really look like, I mean, maybe, maybe he's just, you know, a very good actor. I think that, well, I think the I think he was kind of nervous playing in the championships against Craig and, you know, like, I mean, like, I don't know, like, he's just, I mean, if you think he's, if you, if you think there's a problem that's well within your rights, call a judge, you know? Don't make a YouTube video, like, on some <laughs> site and just, like, bash people because you want attention. And I'm not saying Craig does, but I'm saying, no, no, like, no, no, that's no. the wrong type of thing, you know? <laughs> I love see, it. Well, see, here's what here, here's what he said. Well, I, I don't think like he was giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. He thought that the guy might have been like no, serious. No, no, no. He, he's cultivating an opportunity to talk about it later so that he gets to be the good guy, right? Possibly, yeah. possibly. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. I and mean, yeah, no, you know, you bring up a very valid point. Well, it's I part like of Craig. Why. I just don't like bad PR moves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. He said that, like, after the match, like, you know, he was talking to the kid, and he was, the kid said, oh, you know, I'm really sorry about that, like, I, my friend, like, gave me this deck list, I hadn't really had a time to test it out, or whatever, and, like, and then, like, Craig said to the guy, like, oh, yeah, well, you've got, like, you know, you're supposed to have a really good matchup against this deck, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, I know, I've been testing this deck a lot, and, like, I've, you know, I usually did do Yeah, but that doesn't well. mean anything. Right. The stuff people are saying, I mean, the, the, he's just trying to come up with an explanation. He's talking to somebody, like, Craig probably doesn't know who the guy is, and the guy probably knows who Craig is, and the guy, what, just lost to Craig in the national championships? I mean, he might just be trying to make conversation, he might be coming up with rationalizations for whatever, he might just be trying to be agreeable, I don't know. Like, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about that, you know? Like, if you just look at the practical side of it, you know? Right. Like, if you think the guy's cheating, call a judge, and if you don't, don't. Well, yeah. that, well that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm kind of glad we went off on a way, way more of a tangent on this than I thought we would. <laughs> I, it actually, I was actually leading into a question, but I'm glad we went on that tangent. I think that's useful. But um, what I wanted to know, like, kind of based on, like, what, you know, I was talking to Craig about last night, like, is there a different, like, sort of... What's the word? Like, is there a different sort of like? Is it is it a different sort of environment playing in like a U.S. Nationals versus like a Pro Tour? Or, well, like, I mean, no, I mean only in the sense that there's a lot more amateurs at Nationals. You know, like the Pro Tour, like to get like an amateur trying to play in the Pro Tour has to win a PTQ or something generally. You know, right. right. Whereas Nationals, you have to top eight of regionals. You know, mm. in the U.S., so it's it's a great thing, but it's definitely um, a different sort of mix, you know, like it's a different kind of event. However, in general, like it's the same sort of etiquette. I mean, this is a premier, like the second highest premier level event type of thing, you know, beyond, behind Pro Tours and Worlds, you know? Right. And, uh, and I don't know, like at the end of the day, just, I think there's a big difference between, um, like I, I don't fault a guy for, you know, like if you are trying to get an edge, um, like one of the, we'll see, uh, some players have a style where they think that the the primary use of judges is to find ways to try to trip up their opponent, and you know. But I think that you you got to decide for yourself where the line is mm -hmm. for what's okay and what's not. You know. I don't know. Kind of like icing the kicker in football. 
<laughs> like right, what is I know. I'm just saying, like calling a judge to kind of screw the guys. Well, some people, some people are looking for like some people look at the next five minutes. Some people look at the next five days. Some people look at the next five years. So different people have different perspectives. So it's perfectly valid that different people would have different ideas about what is in their best interest. You know, what is a good move? What is, um, I guess, what is the right place, so to speak? Yeah, I I think you know. I think people have. There, there's a recent example of of something like this, like the Esper Charm controversy, and I think pe people have talked about that at length. But yeah, that's, yeah, but that's I, a good that's example. Subject, see, people kept asking me about that. It's not even an interesting one to me. Yeah. it's really clear cut to me. I don't do it. I don't Esper Charm the guy. Right. The reason I don't do it is because Sheldon says not to do it. To me, the rules are whatever Sheldon says. Mm -hmm. If Sheldon says he would rule one way, that is. And yeah. if he says it would rule it a different way, that is not like that. Like, and if I get a judge's ruling that's different to that, mm -hmm. I can only appeal it up to the head judge. But mm -hmm. I operate as though, like that way, I have a, a, a uniform structure for knowing what is the right way to do, like what is okay and what's not, what's fair yeah. play and what's foul play. To me, like I just go to the top of the judging, and I'm like, okay, if whatever he says, you know, I ask him in this situation, you know, I'm like, I last time I talked to him, I thought the Asper Charm type of thing doesn't work, and then he confirmed later that he rules the other way, and so I'm like, okay, then I don't do it. Right. You know, like I think that it's not like I mean, I don't know, everybody has to pick their own line. Right. But and I definitely don't fault him for wanting to do it, you know? And I definitely from the sound of it, it's a very defensible position. It's just I think you have to decide I mean plus the judges ruled in his favor anyway, so it works out. But to me I think you have to decide where you draw the line and mm -hmm. some people draw the line with whatever whatever they can get away with. Some people draw the line at um, what is what they've seen other people do. Some people draw the line at something else, like for instance, Sheldon. You know, mm -hmm. I don't take anything away from Cedric because Cedric's a fierce competitor, and he didn't break any rules. Right. You know, like the judge ruled in favor of that, and he asked for a ruling. You know, mm -hmm. like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Car. Like, I mean, like, uh, I mean, even like, regardless of if you think the ruling is is good or not, mm -hmm. Cedric even walked the guy through it, and the guy explained. That yes, he is definitely targeting himself. You know, yeah, Cedric yeah. even asked for confirmation. So definitely can't take anything away from Cedric. But I think that just because in that one exact scenario, I had, had it expressed to me that it was the opposite of that, mm -hmm. that I don't, you know, that I don't endorse that. You know, because right. if like if you know that the ruling is the other way and you try to ask for a ruling specifically to get the wrong ruling, that's that's not cool. But right. I mean, judges make mistakes, players make mistakes, and if you don't know, you don't know. You know. Mm -hmm. I also think that there should be a little bit more tolerance for people not knowing. I mean, Magic's a really complicated game. Right. People who think that there's some conspiracy where every player involved always knows everything that's happening, yeah. and if they forget something, they were doing it on purpose just to try to screw the other guy. Like, Kibler with the Angel of Despair. Yeah, I was going to bring it up. Or, right. yeah, I mean, like, or, like uh, whenever you're asking for a ruling, like uh, Saito with, the, with Magus of the Moon, I mean, I think that if you're if you don't know, mm -hmm. like I think that if you don't have reason to believe that somebody, like if, if there isn't like some track record where there's lots and lots of circumstantial evidence pointing at it, or if you know for other reasons of other shady behavior, or most of the time you should give people the benefit of the doubt a little bit because think about how many times you've had an obvious play and you just don't make it because you make a mistake in Magic. Yeah, I mean, happens, it happens all, like probably all every match time. you could over probably and over again. I mean, the other guy didn't angel despair anything. Right. He's the one with the angel despair. Right. I mean. <laughs> anyway, I gotta, yeah, I gotta yeah, get you with Louise. Let's, it's all let's good. talk later on. Okay. Sounds Thanks good. Thanks so much, man. You guys. Thank you.
This is the Michael J. Show right now. Right, it's the Michael J. Show. Here, here we are. We're at, at we're the local pub. <laughs> hey, everybody, Actually welcome to Top 8 Magic. Local. This is Big Head Joe. I'm here with Michael J. Flores, and we're sitting here, and he's talking about spreading seas or Borderland Ranger, probably. Go. How many floors reward points you get for these things? Oh, spreading seas. You get like the five floors rewards each time you cast wow. one. Dude, and you get the get easiest a, way to chain floors you, you get a bonus of seven floors or rewards points for each game win you get over a Jund player. <laughs> if you want to rack up a, a full 100 floors reward points, just go on, I don't know, go back in time, back to <laughs> the world championships, play, play spreading seas. You'll be like, five, turn three. Drew another one. Another five. Done player down. Right. That's 17. Right. So, so next major tournament season, I think we should make a make a floors reward thing. And every tournament, we should play our normal tournament. We'll also keep track of how many floors reward points, points yeah. we get. Can we give yeah. them one of these Borderland Rangers? <laughs> okay. I just want to say, I never really liked Borderland Ranger that much. I liked Civic Wayfinder. Right. Uh, Civic uh, Wayfinder was like a master. And then they like replaced... He was an elf. He's so true. much better than that guy. Mike, yeah. how many floors reward points for cascading and a Borderland Ranger in Extended? Or sorry, or no, 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 no. So, sorry, into a Civic Wayfinder in Extended. Or, or Legacy. Legacy. Okay, you can't collect floors rewards points after committing suicide. So, I mean, like, <laughs> you have to re-examine your life if you're, if you're cascading into Borderland Ranger. Such your priorities. Well, to follow up with the seas. It's more important than floors rewards yeah. points in the end. <laughs> How many bonus rewards points do you get if you cast a spreading seas and draw another spreading seas? Bonus? Yeah, do, do you get... What is he talking about? Bonus points. Bonus points. No, no, no. Bonus rewards points are playing other spreading seas and getting closer. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, I'm playing my feature match, and I, I'm sitting shuffling, and I'm like, Colosso, what deck are you playing? I don't know what deck he's playing, but everyone knows what deck I'm playing. Like I, so he's like, well, I'm playing blue-white control. So I look at my opening hand, and I have like two spreading seas in my opening hand, and a Pyromancer's Ascension, and like a couple of lands, and like a pre-ordain. So I'm like, I'm gonna keep this because he's just playing blue white control. As long as I hit my land drops, I'm gonna beat him on turn seven. This hand's perfectly good. Like it has like no real action. I'm not gonna expose my ascension yet. He's gonna hit lands. He'll stop playing lands on turn four or five. I'm just gonna keep saying go while I play lands, and he's gonna start like uh, uh, main phase chase. Mentally kill you. So that that's my plan, right? So so I just like oh spreading seeds. That's fine. So I'm like preordained. There's another spreading seeds on top of my library. I'm like meh, keep it. So then he goes, first turn, <laughs> Savage Lands. <laughs> so in that game, I collected uh, my 15th floor as reward point on turn three. And then <laughs> a few turns later, I collected seven floor as rewards points. So, you know, he, he played his first spell. Turn five. Right. Then so I killed Sark him. in the mad. Right? So was Sark in the mad. <laughs> <laughs> he still had no green. So, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a, you don't approve, you don't approve. What? You don't approve that keep? You don't approve this thinking strategy? I kept land, land spreading seeds no, on top. Fine. Like, it's blue white, the magic was so good for you. Like, like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> How many pads exile in your hand, bro? <laughs> I can't guess those. I was talking to Chafe and he's like, I would never try to cast a Jace the Mind Sculptor. He's like, I would just leave four mana open and discard my other plates walker. Like, That's a ludicrous idea. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that you wanted to hear an old story. Yeah, yeah, like like a story that not that we haven't heard a thousand times. You can just name a name a hero of fiction and I'll, I'll say I'll say a story about it. Tell us a story about Michael Long. 
I was never really friends with... Oh, okay, I have a good one. All right, so... <laughs> so it's uh, Grand Prix Philadelphia, the one that... Who won this one? Um... Trey Van Cleef won. Okay. Oh, so, wow. That, that's another good story. Yeah. All right, so Trey Van Cleef won this one, and my friend Scott McCord made, made top it. So I'm sitting here playtesting, um, and the Virginia guys all want to play White Weenie. And so I'm playtesting with... <laughs> I'm playing testing with Becker, who's one of my best friends, and uh, Becker's like on Tongo Nation. But today, Becker's like a friend of all of us, and he's on, um, you know, he's on our like mail, New York mailing list and everything, even though he lives in Philadelphia. But you know, he's he's friends with the Virginia guys from Becker Nation Law School. So I'm sitting here playtesting with Becker for Kira's, and like Mike Long sits down. He was going to play White Weenie. Pete Lyre uh, then was his business partner. They were members of Tongo Nation. Pete went, I think, almost undefeated, if not undefeated, day one with White Weenie. So. I'm playing against Mike. I'm playing my my hatred deck. I'm just like, I, I don't think the matchup was even that great. Like I was beating him more than he was beating me. But I was like, whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, your deck seems pretty awesome. I guess I'll just play it. And he's like, uh, because like I was consulting for wastelands and consulting for like, like I'd be like duress wasteland, like play a play a skittering scourge. And like I was just I don't know winning a lot. And he was like, oh, I think I'll play that. And he's like, you know, it'd be good vampire tutor. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll just go get a vampire. I'll play, like, one vampire tutor. And Mike's like, oh, you know, go get me one, too. I'll get you back. And I'm like, I don't know why I bought Mike Long a vampire tutor. Like, $11 on site. He still owes me for that vampire tutor. <laughs> oh, my God, this fries um, look ridiculous. Yeah. So, is that, is that an excellent thing? Was that a reasonably good one? That's good. I don't know a lot of good Mike Long stories. Do you have any, like, good Ryan Fuller stories? J-L-O-R, Elam. Uh, perhaps the best cheat you've ever seen. Don't name any names. <laughs> remember when, uh, remember when you were, we were playing the team, team event against ABU? Me the last story. <laughs> Alright. Um, this is, like, hot oh. You've never played on the Pro Tour before. And somehow you're very fortunate you make the, make the Pro Tour. <laughs> I like to think about something which is like even if you've read somebody's name on the internet or something and like like oh I'm wowed by playing somebody of a certain name I really think you, like like the moto players coming up like they're just so not not uh, intimidated by people by reputation I think is a is a valuable thing and this is an important story that, that BK and I lived through which is that um, we were running hot uh, at uh, Pro Tour New York uh, on Team Pro Tour 2001, we get paired against Team ABU, which at the time was the hottest team on Earth. Uh, later that year, they put four people in the top eight of a Pro Tour with the same deck. Um, and like, their entire team was Notorious Cheaters. That was previous, actually. <laughs> they'd already done oh, they'd already done that. So okay. Their entire team was Notorious Cheaters. It was like Ryan Fuller, uh, Chris Benefell, and I played against No oh, Hogan. So the um, biggest cheating team of all time. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that thing. I knew that Fuller and and Benefell were cheaters, but I didn't know anything about Boken. And it turns out Boken was the only one who actually, had, and he was my opponent. He's the only one who had ever had a suspension actually. So they actually ran all kinds of shenanigans during the draft, including lying to judges during the draft. Like like you know touching cards. Like the, the rules were much more strict about team drafts at the time. And like like it was like really really bad seated. And like so what happened was our teammate John Schuler asked a table judge to come and watch the matches because they were so filthy. So, um, I'm going into game three against Noah, and I, I, honestly, at this time, I did not know that Noah was the only one who actually held a suspension on their team, that Fuller and Benefell had never been suspended at the time. So, I catch Noah stacking. So, I'm like, yes! Like, let me tell you something. This is one thing that any judge 
uh, not any judge, but the judge, the judge who actually wrote the rules on shuffling notice. It's like if Michael J says that somebody stacked, they cheated. Okay, one million percent of the time. Like, um, like when I was on Gigi's live and I was like, I wrote the shuffling rule. I'm not kidding. John Carter called me last year and he said I would like advice on how to rewrite the shuffling rule. We're rewriting the rules for the release of the new set. I'm like, these are my recommendations. They didn't take most of my recommendations because they were too, too strict about mechanical things. Like people who were like. I, I don't know how to riffle. My answer is effing learn to riffle shuffle. Like that's how you randomize a deck. So uh, learn to riffle shuffle. Like that's that's the only answer I have. Uh, and so Noah stacks his deck, and I'm like, I've got it. So he like as soon as he presents, I go, I, I we have a table judge, two feet from me, and I go, and I'm not even done saying it. And Noah grabs his deck, and goes, did not present, and. Run three riffs oh on the spot. God. I'm like, oh my god! I was like, like I was. Did I have to go like this and say judge? Because he was destroyed. I was like, and, and, and then like they grab the. So the judge grabs the, the deck. He's like, there's no pattern. I'm like, of course there's no pattern. He ran three ripples before you touched his deck. I'm like, um. So I'm like, I'm like, the cheat was in the mechanics. So anyway, it didn't even matter. I mean, so we're in game three, and um. I, I managed to win my lose game three. John Schuler defeats Ryan Fuller, who has the best deck at our table by a Schuler beats him. He does 40 points of damage with a, what's the name of it? Goblin Glider? <laughs> Something terrible. Fuller's deck is so good. It, it's a, it's unreal. Like, yeah. how good is that guy? Like, he has to Yavamaya's recall, whatever it's like, pick it up and make a bunch of tokens. Twice. And Schuler gets in for 40 over the course of games two and three. Schuler was just the luckiest ever. With a 2 1 flyer <laughs> against the best deck at the table. So we're going into. Uh, so it's a BK against Benefell. BK has Benefell locked under Legacy Weapon. His number of permanence is zero. So, yeah, yeah. He has no permits. BK is locked him under Legacy Weapon. And BK draws. Um, Thund Thunder Mage? Yeah. So, long story short, BK makes. Uh, makes Benefell uh, discard two cards with his Thunderscape Battle Mage, declaring it before tapping his lands. I am not kidding you. He's a, he, he declares this spell before tapping his lands, right? Yeah. That's what happened. And so we got game lost. Wait. Did Wait, it that's not what happened. Wait. Yeah, it is. No, I, um... <laughs> yes, it is. I don't understand it. Wait. I mistapped my mana or something. You did not mistap your mana. You declared it before like, tapping your lands. You, you had a you had the thing that changes the color. You had to use the you had to use the blue guy to change it to black, and you declared it before you actually tapping that guy. That's why you got the game lost. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, believe me, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> so we would have probably been playing on Sunday that day. Uh, so instead, they advanced, and the our princesses took him out the next round. Then. Uh, we tilt drafted the next round, so I counter drafted both of my teammates. But I got my match, <laughs> <laughs> and then we won. We wanted to make money in the last round, and we actually finished ahead of ABU in the standings. Uh, but we, I mean, we were actually running so hot. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, we, we were running that hot. I thought we just knew the format better. I mean, Brian knew the format better and pointed at which cards we should take. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> the best strategy was the dodge. Yeah, so... so um, like, everybody drafted black red on their right side. Yeah, so we... Had, I, I, so we, we drafted white red on yeah. our right side. We had, we had deck advantage throughout all of day two. Um, and people thought we were drafting badly, but they didn't realize... And then they didn't seem to realize that they were getting destroyed on every, every draft. So, anyway, that's like... 
a Ryan Fuller story. That's that, that, that a good story. Um, Seth Byrne wrote an article about it on Brainburst called TG, TCG Player now. Uh, it's it's typical. Most people think it's the worst ruling that's ever been made on the Pro Tour. Um, it basically cost us day three. We finished 17. Uh, and. Like it's it's inexcusable for us to get game lost in that situation. Like first of all, it's like that's a ludicrous offense. And uh, declared my spell before tapping my land, game loss. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and his opponent had no permanence in play. Like he was completely locked out of legacy. It'll do. So I, I I love these kind of stories. They always make for interesting conversation. Uh, here's my favorite Ryan Fuller story. He's playing against on. Uh, a unnamed opponent, let's say. <laughs> this is, you're hearing Gavin Verhey, by the way. Just, uh, yeah, just, just, so you know. just so you know the voice you're hearing there. Yeah, it's, it's very sensuous, I know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and so, uh, and so this is constructed. I'm gonna wait till uh, Brian Kowal stops talking so I can tell my awesome story. Bogan <laughs> told me he thought that we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> All right, so Ryan Fuller is playing as an unnamed opponent in Constructed. Ryan Fuller has a Morphling in play and one blue man untapped. It's his turn. He thinks for a while. Uh, thinks, 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 thinks. Taps uh, on his turn. Taps his blue mana. Says, take a mana, burn, and go. Uh, his opponent's like, I don't know what's happening. Like, why did he do this? Makes no sense. So he untaps. And cast path er, cast source of plowshares, not path eggs, source of plowshares on the morphling. And uh, so he puts it in the graveyard, and Ranfolder is like, alright, it's countered. And he's like, well, he's like, yeah, I made my uh, morphling can't be the target spells or abilities. So they call a judge. Right. And and he explains, look, like, uh, I he cast swords. I made it can't be targeted, and his opponent's like, no, 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 like, he took a mana burn last turn, Judge is like, he took a mana burn last turn, right. like, like, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> and so, so they, get, they got away with it. That is ridiculous. Isn't that insane? Wow. That is really ridiculous. We just got our food, and we're just gonna yeah. stop recording oh. now. Bye. <laughs> Alright, I'm making sure we're recording now, because I recorded, I recorded for about 45 minutes. Why don't you just record over... Oh, so they got this awesome sound bites with John Cody. Are you yeah, yeah, I'm recording now. now. Okay. I'm recording now. So we're there, and like... Joey walks up to me, and he just... I'm like... Yeah, I was, I, what I said was, I'm going to interrupt Mike while he's eating, and I'm going to ask him a question. Food, I'd be embarrassed. So, but he's way too professional to hear that, right? So... <laughs> So he just like, cause he's like, oh, Mike's eating some French fries. Why aren't you talking right now? And I'm like, all right, so what do you want, right? So then I flag Colos come down, like, and I'm like, and he has this amazing segment about like how he works on his deck, individual card choices, how you break serve in the mirror, all this crap. And then Pascal looks down and he goes, I haven't been recording this the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm seriously, Conrad, he's like talking about things. He's like, oh, that's an interesting idea, but this is how I went with it. For example, you know, you really want to be able to do this. You want to change your percentages when you're doing this. He's like, you've decided this kind of thing out. This is how, these are specific changes I would have made to I'm, my deck. I'm playing a fairly similar deck. You are not playing yeah. a very similar <laughs> so, deck. Fairly. So you're, you're a pretty big advocate for Conrad, right? Advocate in terms of, I think he has excellent ideas. I think if, if you, based on your your schema, which is that there's deck designers and people think about things and all this. 
Conrad is like my schema that people think about yeah. things <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and Dude, stuff. I don't even think about things. But like. Conrad, Conrad is like I mean he's been for years like the one of the most unique thinkers the United States has in terms of deck design. Just doesn't have a lot of profile. Uh, well, nobody I mean, really knows who he is. Well, no, 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 no. You think nobody knows who he is? I don't. I don't think the public knows who he is at all. I was gonna say I think that. Very nearly everyone on the Pro Tour knows who he is. I'm just saying the public doesn't know who he is at all. Yeah, because he's pretty well known on the Pro Tour, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been to a lot of tournaments. I've, I've known him from IRL. I mean, remember how when you guys played at the Mock Invitational? Yeah, he said, like, I guess uh, he, wa- he didn't want to tap his lands or something. He has a spell, and I made him tap his lands. And, I mean, he's like, and he said that it, he's from Philly, and that if, like, in Philly, people get stabbed for talking like that. And I said, well, it's a good thing I'm from Detroit. We shoot people who bring knives to gunfights. I mean, like, <laughs> the dude, like, walks up in the middle of his, fe- his feature match with Efro this morning and then just did t- a tour of the room. And then came back and said that in the middle of his match in the top eight, he's just, he's just playing. And Efro is like in the tank, and the card literally gets up. <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly the most respectful guy. He comes back, and then like the whole the rail birds are like, "What the hell's going on?" He comes back. And he's like, oh, I just thought I'd walk around for a while. <laughs> like in the middle of his match, I was just like, "You saw the thing that happened with Ocho, right? With Webb." That was, I mean, that was hilarious. That was fun. That was fun. No, that was a ten out of ten for style, right? Yeah, that was good. Like he, he, he he broke kayfabe for a minute, right? Like his his covers, he's like a robot, but he's just like, for this, I will make an exception. (laughs) What Ochoa? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so in the uh, the top four, they're playing for third spot, and uh, at some point, uh, Ochoa is playing Dredgevine, Mm -hmm. and. he uh, try. He plays. Uh, he gets his Venge Vines back. He has Renegade Doppelganger, and he just sends it into the red zone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Conrad's like, whoa, 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 you didn't say you're turning it into a Venge Vine, you know? And they call a judge, and you know they end up ruling in Webb's favor, which they rightly should, you know, because the uh, intent was there, right? Well, well he's. The Renegade Doppelganger was cast this turn. The only way it can be entering the red zone is if it's a Venge Vine, and nothing has been said since it was played, right? You know? So, uh, so Conrad loses the ruling, and then on Conrad's turn, he, he you know, he's like, all right, you know, attack, annihilator four, and attack with Terastodon, and Ochoa's like, no, 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 the Terastodon's not attack. You put annihilator on the stack, and they have a twenty-minute heated judges. I heard it was forty-five minutes. Maybe I'm. I'm sure by the by tomorrow afternoon it'll be an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and but at, so they finally to come back with the. Um, yeah, you're not going to be able to attack with Terastodon, you know, you you, you put because the Annihilator he, in the stack, yeah. you know? And he's like, alright. And so Ochoa doesn't even resolve the Annihilator, he just packs his cards, goes to the next game. <laughs> so sick! <laughs> the moral victory. He is nothing if not a man of principle. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I don't know, so what do you think about the team this year, Mike? Uh, who is it? Conrad? Josh? And, uh, the red, the red deck kid, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't. I've actually always been very impressed with Conrad's technical play, and I've also. I've always been impressed with Josh's. <laughs> and I've, I've also always been impressed with Conrad's um, thinking about Magic. I think it's very strong. I don't know anything about um, Raptors game at all, other than he clearly wins everything, as far as I could tell. It's fun. Actually, a lot. we were like uh, a number of people were talking. I think last night we were over at uh, at. Jerry and company, you know, Tim Flores is uh, Jerry's place here in Minneapolis, and there was an after party. So we were just discussing late into the hours random things, and somebody at some point was talking about the top five players in the U.S. 
and the a number of people's list was like I mean not, they put out like not first of all in the Seif was set aside but then they they, they put uh, and, and they only counted actives like even though Finkel showed up to San Juan they didn't count him but they, do, they, do they have like Steve O'Mahony Schwartz on their top five players no, what, are you talking true, about true or false Steve O'Mahony Schwartz playing in a tournament today is as good as the best three players in the Pro Tour stacked together right now right this minute if Steve O'Mahony Schwartz played in a Pro Tour true or false is better than the three best yeah play- you stack them not in no. the Seif like the three best Americans stacking together. No, he's better than they are. Then LSV, I think LSV is one of the ten best players of all time. You don't remember how Steve played? I, I mean, do Steve remember how Steve played. Steve, I think Steve was one of the best in the world at the time. You know, I don't know. Like I think Steve's on the all-time list. Like for instance, I think that Steve is higher on the list than the number of people who are in the Hall of Fame. Like you're, if you add up, okay. like if the list is the no, like the length of the number of people of the Hall of Fame, Steve is in that. You With know? The conversations that are going around in the circles that I frequent right now is that. Steve was probably better than Bob at their at their at their mutual heights. But we think of Bob as like being like the the third or the fourth of the leg and like the triumvirate. Just because Steve happened to be standing next to John the entire time, nobody noticed that he was standing there. So it's always like Kai, John, and Bob. It's always Kai, John, and Bob, no, or no, Kai, no, John, no, Bob, and no, Dirk. Come on, you know I'm a big fan of Steve. I'm voting for him this year for the Hall of Fame. He's saying one of the best like players, he's like he's played the best single game of Magic I've ever seen. Well, Bob that's possible, like but I, he players. hasn't played the best single game of Magic I've ever seen. I mean, a lot of people have played some really incredible games. That's a pretty subjective metric, right? I mean, just like in terms of in-game decision making. So you not said, in you terms said of I excitement. played the best game of Magic you ever saw. When <laughs> against Neil. Oh, that was a good game. <laughs> See? You can't, you, man. No, no. Just in terms of mental game, that was. But I mean, just like Efro played a game almost that good today against like that. What you did, just like oh, that was good. That game against Neil. <laughs> did you? You bluffed Neil, didn't you? I'm like, I forgot about. Do you realize that. half the people who know Neil don't, still don't believe that that's even possible? Oh my god. Do you, so do you guys know not, who Neil Reeves is? Neil Reeves, right? I, I remember I mean, like, them from story. from okay, 2005. So Reeves, this story. Right? Yeah, Patrick's right. Hey, I, I, it's not as good as Steve's game, and it's probably not as good as the game Bob played against John in Philadelphia, because, no offense, UV Neil is not the same as no, Bob, no, 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 Bob it's against not John, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or or um, or uh, or Steve against Hump, but Kenji. You, the Kenji, Kenji oh, one. Oh god! But the problem is the bad guy wins the Kenji side. Dude, the bad guy has to win. He's not <laughs> so the bad guy. He's not, the bad guy wins the Kenji side. Guy. I don't want to talk about that one. So, uh, so uh, people don't believe the story. It's per, so just to give you context. All right, um, Neil Reeves is considered to be like he was never like you know no one talks about oh the greatest Magic players of all time Neil Reeves, but if you think about someone in terms of like how dangerous they were in a money draft. Their reputation on the tour, and specifically the level of their mental game and their ability to bluff and withstand bluffs, Neil Reeves probably in the top three players of all time. Like, would you would you agree with that? Like, just I, I don't know if I'd throw on the number three so much, but I would say certainly the absolute tier one. Like, like top. I mean, you're just like, like you're like Neil Reeves. Like Neil Reeves was like iron. Okay, so I'll give you just as an example, Neil Reeves versus. Wait, uh, did, didn't he have the best play we've ever seen? With the, the at nationals? Oh my god! This is U.S. nationals. Yeah, we're getting oh, Okay, so, so just, uh, just I mean, like Neil uh, Neil Kim comes from a poker background, and players who come from a poker background, rather than Magic players who transfer to poker, mm-hmm. tend to be much better at racing than regular Magic players. So regular Magic players who just play Magic or whatever often lose games that they're supposed to win because they missed an attack. So just what Patrick's saying is that Neil played a game once where he's in a blue mirror and he's losing. He casts a thirst for knowledge. 
draws multiple spire golems, looks at his hand, and instead of discarding a spire golem to get card advantage, discards all of his other cards, plays a land, and slams down all of his spire golems, and just attacks the rest of the game. His opponent's up like six cards, and Neil just kills him with, uh, with spire golems. That one was actually insane, but that's not even the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the oh. Ray Command one. Oh no, that, this is the one I was thinking of, like... Are all of the good plays in Magic by Neil? By Neil no, in this <laughs> case, and Steve OMS? In this case, uh, so Patrick's looking at his hand. I, I remember watching this, and at the time, Patrick was more advanced than some people like already like studying like NLP and mind control and stuff like that. So um, this is in the top eight of Grand Prix Milwaukee in 2002, and the matchup is Neil playing Psychotog and Patrick playing Blue Green. Go figure. Uh, and his deck Squirrel is nest opposition. full of birds and elves, and I, I don't know compulsion. Looters and looters. So Patrick looks at his hand, and like I looked at his hand, and it was just a clear mulligan. Like like only, two birds and yeah, elf, like, yeah. three land, and a, like only and a, one spell. Only a buffoon would hold this hand. Okay? Oh no, like four land, three bird, like two elves, a, a bird, and four land. Yeah, it was an unkeepable hand. <laughs> no, I had to read on the future. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick's looking at this hand, and he stares at it forever. And at the time, I was just like, is he just, like, pretending he's going to mulligan? Like, what's the guy? He's like, oh, is he thinking about this? This isn't even a hard decision. He has no action. Okay? So then, he keeps. <laughs> and he just puts down birds and elves and just does nothing for a bunch. And Reeves literally does stone nothing for several turns because he's terrified. That I just it out. It's just gonna play, op six man on play opposition three. and lock him down. So Reeves does nothing the entire game. It, it's like if Neil saw what was on the other side, he would have just killed him on like the fifth turn. But instead, he oh, does it. Like the only right. card he casts the entire game is one Nightscape Apprentice. And then by the time he realizes the jig is up. Patrick already has a handful of counterspells. Because, like, all this time goes by, and Patrick actually has more counterspells in his, de in his deck than Neil has ways to win. So... <laughs> But it was like it was like I couldn't believe people don't believe this. Story. I was told, it's because, what about the compulsion bar? Where, you're, yeah, compulsion. Yeah, at one point. Oh yeah, so at one point he casts compulsion, and, and I'm one other card. And he has one other card. And, and Neil's down to one counterspell. And so Neil's like, I'm just like, he's got to counterspell this, right? Like he's gonna lose. But he thinks that the other card is opposition, so he lets it resolve. <laughs> it's just, it's just. And so at that just, point, I just compulsion there, every yeah. turn, all my mana over and over again. It was, just put root walls there, yeah. worms. Yeah. I, 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 I don't I don't know. I think that was like one of the ones like when we were playing yesterday we were just like I'm just gonna showboat this one and it but it turned out alright. <laughs> that was like, like uh, let's see what happens if I play a tournament with only one ones that gain life. <laughs> How about we do that? Imagine the deck tech I get on magicthegathering.com if I come off with oh I don't know a five and four record. <laughs> That's got to be good enough for a deck tech. Dude, I'm telling you, though, man. I, I thought that like, the, the way our match played out, I thought that it was, like, if you I just had a bunch of mana. You, like, I was thinking, I was trying to imagine I was going to play out, and I thought to myself, if I just play out a bunch of mana, like, what can he do? Kill you. He can kill you. No! Because what, what if I play opposition? He always loses if I play opposition if he doesn't have a people. Uh, well, even so if, if he I ever has have a people, six mana, but see, if I get six mana, I can go counterspell and opposition, and then he'll lose. Yeah, but he has so a he's ton afraid of, to let it be. But he had a ton of creature kills too. He just didn't cast them apparently. Oh, he was saving them for my good creatures. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> which is, and, which is uh, what if, happened and yesterday? Craig Westco right? made made the deck that that Neil was playing that tournament. Oh, back in the yeah yeah back, back in the Stone Age, Craig Westco made that deck. I know because I played Craig Westco, and he told me that he made the deck that he was playing. 
Okay, so the insane one with Neil, I th like playing in Nationals, Gabe Walls always says this is the best play he's ever seen anybody ever make. Um, Gabe's swinging with a, this is limited or something, mm -hmm. and uh, Gabe's swinging with two twos. Or not Gabe, I'm sorry. Uh, Dude. Yeah, Neil's Duder. swinging with two. Neil's okay. swinging with no, the two twos. Okay. And basically, they end up in a situation where the guy's just drawing off the top. Neil swings with uh, swings with his three guys, mm -hmm. and then swings with his three guys, and so the guys at like eight or whatever. And then Neil, without even missing a heartbeat, and all the guys been doing is just draw, go, draw, go. Mm -hmm. Neil, without even missing a heartbeat, swings with just one. Because he has the read that the other guy has ray of command. Because Neil's on like two life or something, and he was right. Like he drew it that turn, and the guys, they, like they were watching the the footage of it, and the guy's facial expression didn't even change at all. If you watch money drafts, you can see Neil. He just makes these plays that don't make any sense, and be like, Neil, why did you do that? He's like, he's like, he peeled peel from reality this turn. If I make that attack, I'm gonna die. Like, and I'm like, what? He's like, trust me. And I look look over the other side. He's like. <laughs> like he's just nodding. Like he's like he peeled peeled from. So if you Neil's mental game, um, Neil is probably the best at reading people. Yeah. Of all, like I mean, John Finkel. No, yeah, I know. I'm talking about people with a specialty. Like John's probably the best at like eight out of ten categories. So like, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. This is in one one feature match. Uh, Neil versus Masashi uh, Oiso, and the matchup is is uh, Psychotog versus um, Balancing Tings. And Neil's playing Psychotog, and he has a counter spell, and Oiso goes. Um, Orem's chant. He just goes main phase Orem's chant. Neil has one counter spell. Neil's like, snap you. Sure. <laughs> and he's like, resolves. And then Oisa goes, can't go. Like, <laughs> so, so like, uh, he's like, okay, bring your Orem's chant, brah. <laughs> he just knew. He just knew there was nothing there. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so I see. I, th I think the whole thing that w the people are missing about Steve almost to back to go back all to that is that. A lot of the people today are not voting for Steve Omesh just because they, because so much of his uh, reputation, so much of how dominant he was, was in the early years. And there's some people who have votes now who think that the early years don't matter as much as they do now. That's and that's so messed up to me. And that's because, kind of. Uh, I'm sorry. That's kind of what we were talking about at dinner. Was like people are like a lot of people like. Uh, like Gavin. Gavin thinks that Moto changes things, and he thinks that like he looks at like you know statistics, like straight up like it's not statistics. You just look at numbers and you make up a valuation that you have. No, you can make the statistic mean anything you want because it's like this. Okay, uh, do people are there dominant people today? Yeah, there are some people who are really really dominant today. Were there dominant people back then? Yeah, there's some people who are really dominant back then. Are the people today much more technologically advanced and much like? Much improved from years tools. of theory of writing, of moto, of ways of practicing, and now, sure, but it's relative to the other people. Right. Steve Olmes didn't have the tools that people have today to help get them up to speed. He had to figure it out on his own, and he was still one of the well, top players. The thing that I think is just ludicrous about it, when you look at players like Steve or Chris, like Steve and Chris walk into Grand Prix, they just win them anyway today. It's not like they don't have the skill level. It's clear. Steve played in one Grand Prix, and he was handicapped by having Matt Wang on his team, and he won the Grand Prix. I mean, like, Chris played in, like, one well, real Steve's one of the best money, uh, team drafters of all time. But, like, I, mean, was, I think Steve is probably the great, greatest Rochester drafter of all time. No, dude, we were talking about that. We, see, we got Steve what? pretty high. The only two people we have in Steve's league on Rochester draft? are Kai and Huey. You got it. Come on, man. I think Steve is number one. In specialized skills? Oh, uh, okay. I, no, but How many Rochester Draft Pro help. Tours were there? Steve's worst finish was two. <laughs> That's his, his bad finish is in Rochester Draft Pro Tours, he finished second. Of how many did he show in up? In mates, two. He oh, one, two. 
and he, see, he won one and came in second in the other see, one. That's, that's part and of then in teams, he finished to like two top fours. But dude, when you okay, when you talk about small sample size, the problem is that like a lot of the greats from back in the day are kind of hurt a little bit by the fact that a lot of the judges only look at the stats and the people who cut their career short. With it, you may say, oh, they're working real jobs, they're, they have real lives. Well, guess what? We all have a real life, right? Like, we all have 24 hours a day. We all can spend our time doing whatever we want. I wish that insane players that are so good for the game, like Chris and Steve, would show up more. You know, but I think that's the biggest thing that's... But they have, why, why would they show up? They're not qualified. Like, I wouldn't have come to this tournament if I had not been qualified. Yeah, I know, it. but some people Maybe have a not... stronger, like, desire to be qualified. You know, some people want to be on the court yeah, like, for a while. I mean, like, I mean, like... I don't know. I play in way more IRL tournaments than they do. Like, I play, like, in four tournaments a year. So, it's, like, not very many. And, like, you know, Steve doesn't play in any. I know, but that's... But don't you see that the Hall of Fame isn't just about how good of a player they were? It's not the Pro Point Hall well, of Fame is, well, or how the dominant player Hall of Fame. The thing that... I, I don't I don't know where I read this, but... Um, it's probably... A, I'm on mailing lists with these friends of mine in IRL, so... Um, it's probably there, but it's like when people look at like a player like you on the ballot, right? So the thing that they'll say about your your play statistics are not comparable to a lot of the other players on the ballot, but people will give you votes because they say that you have community contributions. No, no, no hold it against me. No, no, because I'm still going to be playing. No, from no, not not that. that you, they'll give you votes because you have community contributions based on writing. Okay, basically, right? And deck building, right? Yeah. So, but the thing is, if you look back, like and working in R and D. Not really for that. And, and for, you know, being a positive figure, showing up to tournaments, making it more fun, but yeah. That, that's not what people <laughs> Did you hear he wrote a book? That's not really what people are talking about. They're basically talking about the fact that you write a column, uh, in this case. And that the... I'm not saying that you don't have other things that you have done that might accrue brownie points in the community. I'm saying that the main thing that they look at is that. If you look back at uh, players of a different time period, like... In, like, Chris was one of the original dojo columnists, right? Like, Steve was writing for things. The publications they write for just don't exist anymore. No, Chris was the guy I read. When I showed up to the first yeah, post, so like, the three people I wanted to meet were Brian Weissman, Chris Pakula, and Brian Hacker. Well, no, no, Brian Hacker introduced himself to me because he's like, wow, you like to beat down, too. Yeah. So, I, mean, I think, first of all, I think it's ludicrous, for example, that Brian Hacker wasn't That's, first ballot. I voted for him. I bet when he was on the ballot, but it's like... Yeah, I voted it, for him twice. I mean, like, it's just like people are like, oh, his places aren't good enough. I'm like, first of all... He invented the beatdown! He invented the beatdown, okay? Like, do you understand the people tacking for two? He invented that. Everyone else was like, oh, I'm going to play my giant spiders on turn five. <laughs> like, you know, like, they're like, oh, well, I think that we should have 18 lands in our 42-card limited decks. Like, true or false, that's how it was. Worth Walpert taught me to play limited. He told me to play 18 lands in my 42-card limited deck. That's who taught me to play limited, and I like, made it under the. You're first asking one. me true or false if Worth Wolpert taught you to. No, play No, no, I'm saying <laughs> that, that's, how, that's how people played Magic again on limited back then, before Brian Hacker. I mean, a lot of people, like people would play. First of all, back then, I mean, people would play stuff like play 16 land with like six drop, like crawl <laughs> yeah, worms yeah, and stuff. Oh, yeah. And yeah, like, like Hacker deck. would yeah. show up with more land in his deck, and every spell in his deck would cost a Two. man and a half less than yeah. the, than his opponents on the average. Like we. They, was, they invented, like, attacking He taught the into, whole California area how to draft, and they put five people in the top eight of a draft pro tour. Wow. That was insane. They were, like, so much better than... I mean, and the other... They were the only people who not... Back then, there were only, like, 40 people who not a draft, and 20 of them was because they learned from Hacker. The other 20 learned from the people <laughs> that no, watched... I'll, I'll, I'll just give you a context, right? So, like, I was always good enough to win a PTQ. So, like, I could win, like, a limited PTQ. And then worth than, like, the dead guys and, like, seeing me, we were like, oh, let's go draft... Oh, let's go practice for the pro tour. I'm like... It's just sealed. We're going to open some packs. 
It's not a real pro tour. You know, like, we're gonna open some packs. If I open a fireball, I guess I'll do well. Like, that was an attitude that people had. It's you know, not hacker. Oh, people. Yeah, yeah. People at first thought that sealed deck was sealed luck. Remember the yeah, old they used sealed to call luck? It sealed luck. And then, like, as far as draft goes, it was literally. You know, there was no rhyme or reason to the. Like, there was no theory at all. It was a total new thing. And Hacker had a pretty revolutionary idea because it was sort of just accepted that you don't play, like, grizzly bears because the giant spiders will just hold them off. No, but instead, Hacker just only played the grizzly yeah, bears. Yeah, and then he like, just lots was like, of them. all right, yeah, I'll play with a giant growth, something that taps your guy. And then he'd play, like, bad one mana tricks, like the charms. Simply for tempo? No, he would just run, like, a, he would, like, look at the draft, and he'd, like, run him a 10 to herder, right? Like a 1-1 one, one flanking, right? And sometimes he'd just start running, like, like you he play your like, giant, like, you do nothing attack. on 1, 2, 3, and then on 4 you play giant spider, you're already at 10, and he just swings into it. He's like, okay, yeah, the abyss. Whatever. Right. <laughs> like, whatever, take 4. Hacker know? would play Karavik Spite in Limited. Like, it's nothing. Like, it's Who just... did that? Johnny or, or, or Long? The Caravex Spite play. Long did it to Johnny, right? Wait, the Disrupt one? No, Memory Lapse, Pick It Up Again. Oh, that that was pretty insane. Yeah, Long That's did that one. That's a good play. Yeah, that was, so, that was a pretty so, good one. Yeah, what is this play? Oh, so it's uh, Pro Tour New York 1997. And you got to remember, the, the rules changed back then. Yeah, 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 the rules changed. It's just around 6th edition? Like, rules this changed? Is like no, no, fifth, no, this okay, is this years is like, before 6th yeah, edition. Okay. So at least yeah, this is 5th, 5th Visions Pro Tour. Okay. Which, I top that one as well. Back when I used to top 8 limited people. So, uh, <laughs> so, Long, Long plays Karavik Spite. Uh, he has got Karavik Spite in his hand. Okay, I forgot what that card does. It's but. black, black, black. Sacrifice all of your permanents. You know, target player loses no, five yeah, life. Yeah, five life. Okay. And uh, he put, John's playing uh, five-color Necropotence in Limited with multiple Cities of Brass. That was really his deck. Was this a different... This wasn't the... Wait, in no, Limited. in Limited. Oh, 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 he was the... It was the yes. Business. Okay, sure. He sure. had Memory Lapse and... And uh, Necropotence and City of Brass were in his deck. Sure. So uh, they're playing to win the pod. Right. So John's low with this deck. Necropotence, City of Brass. Five so, color Necro. Five sure. color Necro, City of Brass. In limited. Okay, he's sure. playing. So um, he's going to win, it looks like, but he's low because his, both his lands and his yeah, spells deal five. damage to him. Yeah. Uh, so Long puts like a. He just adds all the mana. Yeah, he, he just floats. Six mana because he's got six mana. He just taps all like I think he even more, but he just taps six mana into his on his up, yeah. It goes into his draw step, and then in response to his draw, Karavik spites John. Okay. So when John memory lapses it, he, he draws it, it and has three mana floating and does it again. <laughs> oh, that's right. I've read he about that. around the memory lapse just because I mean Mike Long was definitely one of the best in the world, you know, and like he he's the type of guy who play around everything Mark, he could. Mark Justice wasn't that good. He has the best statistics of any of any person in the on the ballot. Like, Mark Justice. Yeah. In terms of like batting average, like by far he has like the best median finish. Best but you can't. Career people finish. with short careers, it's such a. But like, plus, you look dude, at him, I watch him on video. Play. He's so bad. I know. Like anyone who I'm better than, uh, <laughs> he throws lands away with necropotence in play. Who, who does like? Who does that? I don't know. I think so. This is a, you'll have, you'll find this funny. Just, so I was hanging out with Kibler. We were gaming, and then I said to Kibler. I really respect you, Brian. And he's like, yeah. I said, yeah, when people say I'm the greatest self-promoter in all of Magic, I say, no, I'm only the second greatest. And Brian says to me, he says, Mike, neither one of us has Patrick. That's not true. said the exact thing the other way around, my friend. He's the coldest who ever did it. And he says that to me, and I'm like, fold, Patrick, number one. Okay, the point is, in this... 
the what do you think about Google as a method? For I think it's awful because like poor Ken Ho just doesn't get any media coverage. So if like the media coverage of it just is like error somewhere in the article. You saw Aaron Forsyth's thing, the Hall of Fame, you know, like, like a Hall of Fame. Isn't that like Dave Williams and Gabriel Nassif and I guess like Brad Pitt? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> well, who's your ballot this year? Is it um, same five? Uh, yeah, come on. The, I, the, Zvi has leaned pretty hard on me about uh, changing one of my votes. And I think, did I heard John wrote something. Uh, yeah, Finkel? Yeah, was it on CF? Where is it? I, I think, heard he wrote no, something. No, no, no. I, I, is it on CF? I, I think I, it is on Channel 5. I haven't read it I don't yet. know. I haven't read is it, it yet. Yeah, well, I haven't read John it. and I, I think it just had went the up. same ballot. And if it's what I think it says, I'm in our circle in New York, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about this topic. And... Um, I don't know. I, 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 He's I talking about the Saito situation. I'm, I'm not typically one to succumb to peer pressure, but I think that in this case, uh, I can, if I remember to, I'll probably switch that vote to Anton Janssen. You gotta admit that it's the right thing to vote for Anton. Come on. I, I mean, it's like, crazy to not vote for Anton. Okay, the thing is, like, I would vote for Anton because he's obviously mer- meritorious in this case, but I just don't want to be voting for Anton with like. Ted Knutson being like, you're so stupid, you didn't vote for Anton. No, Ted wins when I change my vote I know, to but, Anton. But don't you see, like, you don't want it to be, like, you winning when Ted changes his vote to Steve or Chris or whoever, you know? But it does, I think, I mean, I never, I've never said that, like, you, it's, like, a moral imperative to vote for Steve or Chris. I have said it's a moral imperative to vote for Kibler. And I think that, um... Well, Kibler came back to the game. I, I, I mean, think like, that's damn good. I, I People who are gone and come back to the game? I think that any American... Really- <laughs> <laughs> Any American who doesn't vote for Kibler is like, I, I don't know. I, I, they should get their votes taken away. It's like not voting for John in the first year. All right. Well, how about so. this? At the end of the day, you could hold it against people if they're if they cheat, right? If you think that they're shady or a cheater or whatever. And so some of the very very excellent players are held back by the perception that I, mean, I voted for cheaters before. Right. And there are cheaters in the Hall of Fame. Or people who were... And it's tough, too, because there's the whole spectrum between savage and opportunistic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, there's definitely some savages already in the Hall of Fame, but there's... It doesn't mean that we have to abandon... Like, I kind of shifted my stance a little bit. I used to... I used to have a little bit more of a leniency for that kind of thing. And in terms of people making mistakes and then after a certain amount of time, you know? Mm. Kind of feel like... It's just better in the long run to take a harder stance. Like, I think that, like, I mean, I don't think it's a total deal breaker, you know? Mm -hmm. Because, like, I mean, there's a lot of different ways people can get suspended and things like that. But to me, I think it comes down to, one, I don't think savages should get in at all. And two, if people did things after a certain amount of time... That's, like if there's good, there's good behavior, you know. Like that's kind of how I think about it, and that's why I voted for Sido. But the fact of the matter is, I I probably am returning to my original assessment of cheating, which is that people get such positive reinforcement from cheating and not being punished for cheating. I know that it's almost inextricable from your personality. Like there's a player we were talking about over dinner who a lot of people admire and think is like a great member of the Pro Tour community who's just a cheater who never has any consequences. And in fact, he just cheats in games he doesn't even need to win, cheat to win in. And then, like... What was the, his name again? <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, and, like, he just ran up... He'll, like, admit to it. It doesn't even care. And, like, the thing is, like, he just has no penalty. He's like, it's like, 
I am one of the superstars of the Pro Tour. It doesn't even matter. And, like, there's multiple people who are, like, superstar-level Pro Tour players who are ridiculous savage cheaters. And the thing is, like, I just assumed that Saito was reformed because everyone told me that he was. And then all the stuff that comes up from Columbus, and I actually didn't know about the second the second incident. I thought only about the first incident. Because so, the first, the bribery one is, like... Yeah, it's, like, nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. But the, the one with the unsportsmanlike conduct, that's actually, I mean, that's... I mean, there's a big difference, but I, I think even if you think about things like people who do what you said, opportunistic cheating, I think there's a big difference between, like, wow, this is my moment. I have a chance to do blah, like, do well enough to make the Invitational, make top eight of Worlds, you know, something like that. Like, maybe I'll, you know, make a stupid mistake because I'm 19, versus someone who's trying to get another player a game loss for, you know, to win a game. That what, Just, he thought, it was, he thought that was his out. He should have run it better. The problem, the problem, I like. I mean, it's tough. You got to be careful with your image too. When people think you're shady already, and you get a reputation for clock management, you heard. By the way, you heard the sick, sick Chris. Uh, this doesn't matter. I don't think he cares. Chris Benefield quote mm-hmm. about time management. Former Pro Tour great Chris Benefield's advice about uh, time management was um, okay. I think there was a situation where it was okay. If you, he said, if I if I win the first game. And lose the match. I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> I did hear that. I did, you, did you? Somebody tweeted that or something. I think I heard that. But. Yeah, it came back up in uh, it came back up in Columbus because people were watching Saito and they're just like, "What is he doing? He's read the last three people's Jaces. Right. They're all the, they're all in English. They're, like it's the same one." <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, you'd actually think there might be some repercussions given the amount of scuttlebutt about this. I don't know. I think the people will watch him more closely in the future. I think Saito's a good guy. I think he's a great guy for the game. I think that there should be a little bit more clamping down on the, I mean, the, the clock management. Because I don't think Saito, I don't think Saito's doing the stuff like like he doesn't stack his deck and I don't think he does the little like the random cheat stuff. I don't I don't think he does. Maybe maybe my conception of what shuffling your deck is is just too limited, so I don't know. I think that people on the Hall of Fame uh, voting should really I mean, I would really hope that they take their job seriously. You know, like if you don't want to vote, don't use it. You know, don't. Gary you know, Wise just scoops up his votes. He says this is the last ballot he's going to cast, and that's fine. You know, he if said he doesn't, he doesn't know. If he doesn't about feel qualified, then that's, you know, that's a reasonable answer. It has to be about the prestige and the honor of the highest award in this game. I mean, well, what, the, the, way, the reason that I think the, the the way I do now is because I feel like, you know, you ever hear, do you ever hear the sayings like? Good's going to start winning the battle between good and evil when good decides that they want to play dirty. And that's like, uh, the thing is, and, and you think about it, it's like, oh, well, that's not really good's MO, right? But Mike, what color is your lightsaber? Mine? What color is your lightsaber? Red, for sure. Okay. Whatever. No shame. I draw red. My that, daughter draws my green point. against me, but, you know, we'll battle. <laughs> All I know is... Good's happy that I'm on Good's side, <laughs> rather than on the other side. <laughs> I don't need to have the same lightsaber as them, you know. We could do you get did out. the dirty work for them. We could, do, you know, somebody on the team has to be dirty, otherwise nothing gets done. Give Samuel Jackson with it. With no, the no, I'm not. I don't have a BFM lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, I still. In case this is completely unrelated, other than it's about lightsabers. Okay. You get a chance. Mike Flores wrote an article about lightsabers. It was actually one of my favorites, where he compared. He actually 
did a very, very good analysis of the Star Wars battles by showing the perception that everyone has about how good the fighters were versus if you look at the results like in the results movies, of the combat. If you, look at the, if you look at the scoreboard, you get a very different picture than the PR would have you believe. Like, literally, in episode three, like, Obi-Wan's like, let me take Sidious, you take, you take Anakin... He's like, I don't want to fight Anakin. He's like my little brother. You take Anakin. I'll take Sidious. And Yoda's like, no, no. I'll take Sidious. You're not good enough. Obi-Wan's lifetime record against Sith Lords is like... He's like 15. He takes down a Sith Lord. He's not even... He's still got the freaking Padawan ponytail. He takes that. He takes down a Sith Lord without his lightsaber, okay? He never gets in a fight with anyone who lives through the fight. Except for Count Dooku once. Like, the, the dude is unstoppable in lightsaber combat. Yoda has two draws. Lifetime. <laughs> he gets into the battle, and he goes to Benefel time. And, like, he's like, oh, I'm going to take Sidious. That, all he does is throw lightning. Like, Sidious just took down Mace Windu. <laughs> he killed them, like, all at once. Seriously? Obi-Wan would have been able to take him. If you look at perceived f- value on Grievous, Grievous is like eight wins up in terms of like killing. Grievous isn't even, it's not even on the, like he doesn't no, even no, register right. Where do you think, where do you think Grievous the got the lightsabers? Grievous killed Jedi to get those lightsabers. It, it, when they do Grievous's prequel in Clone Wars, Grievous kills eight Jedi in one fight to take the lightsabers. Obi-Wan kills him without a lightsaber. He does not need a lightsaber to beat a man Fighting with four lightsabers simultaneously, <laughs> and Yoda won't let Obi Wan go up against Sidious. Sidious would have lasted about thirty seconds. Be like, let me tell you the difference between me and you. You're a hundred years old. I'm twenty. Let's go. Like, oh, you got lightning. Great. I beat that last movie. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> Yoda gets hit with the lightning. You know, like, I'm a little green guy. Like, <laughs> if if. If freaking Obi-Wan's not worried about his kid brother getting his arm chopped off, he'll win any fight. He's <laughs> not... Oh, my gosh. So, wait, wait, what was the metagame? Wasn't there, like, one... Number one fighter is Sidious. Like, I'm not Sidious, uh, is Dooku. Because Dooku has, like, technical knockouts against so many... Like, they're, all, like, and masters. They're, all the masters. They're, like, they're, like, all these, like, little, like, asterisks next to, to, to Dooku. But he's, like, draw against Yoda, KO against Anakin, KO against Obi-Wan twice. Like... But like, but notice that that like Obi Wan lives through all the fights, right? But like, but then like you get you not know, you the get, one with Darth Vader. Yeah. But then, but the worst is Anakin Skywalker. The, like, an EDT actually said this. He's like, Anakin Skywalker is the most overbloated record because he's an idiot. He'll get in a lightsaber fight with anybody, <laughs> whether or not he's gonna but win. Kill a million people off camera. Children. Like, <laughs> Ws are Ws, man. <laughs> they had practice sabers. The sabers, the sabers on Coruscant don't cut. Dude, they're like, they just, they're, they're like Bella's lightsaber. They're like a, they make a noise, but they just bounce off each other. He kills all mono children. When you show up, when you they had the mask on. They can't see. They're like when you show up with time vaults and when you show up with time vaults and Jaces and ancestral and Yawgmas one. Other people are playing stupid shop decks. Okay. It's like taking, you know, it's like no, no, killing let me explain children. This to you. The children have the helmet on, the blinders are on, you know, they can't see. They're like, today we're going to work on the force. You're going to just 
imagine where the ball is gonna be and it's gonna shoot a little beam at you and you're gonna try to deflect it with your little plastic lightsaber. Are you ready, kids? The kids couldn't even see and they have plastic lightsabers and Vader's like, yo, gonna win one. Like after a lifetime of getting his tail kicked. Look at his life. These are, these are Darth Vader's lifetime lightsaber fights. The first fight he gets into gets his arm chopped off. Okay. <laughs> Number two, he wins on the comeback in a two-on-one when Sidious tricks Dooku. Dooku's like, yo, Sidious, what are you going to do? No! Upgrade! <laughs> like, upgrade Sith apprentices, right? So he's got, he's one in one lifetime, right? His next fight, later in the movie, gets his entire half of his body chopped off. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Mono lose half of his body. Okay, we're, we're, Mono lose half of your body. Three fights. Three fights he's been in. Loses an arm. Loses his entire lower body. That means, thank God Luke and Leia had been conceived, because there ain't no more of that. It was consumed by the fires of Geonosis. Next fight. He's swinging for the kill. Opponent just didn't even show up for the fight. He just, like, wrote on the match slip, if you want to take this one in the win column, you go ahead and bring it up to the judge. Me and you know who really won this one. Kid. He's like, well, I mean, I, I guess I could take this one, okay? So this, he's, what, four fights later? A scoop's a scoop. He's, he's got, like, got a scoop. Barely got a, scoop. a scoop, okay? Uh, in lifetime fights. And his previous two non-scoops were... Hand chopped off, lower body chopped off. Okay. Next fight. And, he, hey, he won a two on one okay. where the guy, where his, the other guy got backstabbed. Yeah. Like, so, next fight. Okay. Oh yeah. He he has a K on Mace Windu by chopping off Mace's arm. So he's like, hey, I came to help your team. Just kidding. <laughs> he just like, literally mono switch teams in the middle of the fight. He's like, this word mono. It's a modifier. That's what you think it means. Mono switch teams. Okay. So, next fight. He's like, oh. Oh, all right, I remember this fight. This is the same one that I had on Coruscant against those little kids. Untrained child, okay? <laughs> Untrained child. Literally, like, hey, I'm in Jedi school in Dagobah, but I'm going to go actually go try to rescue my friends. Well, we didn't really teach you lightsaber 102 yet. Oh, I covered lightsaber 101 <laughs> with the mask and <laughs> catching it with the ball of lightning. I think I'm good enough to go up against the Sith Lord. But you might want to reconsider that, Luke, okay? That's his next fight. Chop off a child's hand, okay? That's Come, his MO. Comeback fight. <laughs> comeback fight. Like, two weeks later, kid comes with a new hand. He's like, gets his ass kicked. No additional training. He was just like, just pissed this time. He was just like, last time I fought that guy, he cut off my hand. This was my first tournament match. <laughs> what the hell's going on? And they're like, oh, man, Anakin Skywalker's so talented with the Force. Darth Vader's so scary. He has the worst record ever. The only reason he's not dead like 14 times over, because he's all robot parts. They're like, they're like any other freaking Jedi who's just dead. They're like, oh, he got chopped in half and thrown in lava. What about Grievous? Grievous, what about him? He's like a robot, I don't know. Right, he's got even more robot parts. You can't hold it again. Yeah, but he's like a sick fighter. Unless, I don't know, an unarmed Obi-Wan Kenobi goes up against him. Maybe like Obi-Wan has like a pebble or something. He could take it. So remind me again who beat Obi-Wan? Uh, who beat Obi-Wan? Yeah, how did Obi-Wan die? He didn't. He just. Oh, yeah, yeah. How did Obi-Wan die? He disappeared. Did it, did it, did it, it's unclear. Just ma mono disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't even mono disappear. He at least 50% died. No, no. First of all, this is how much he mono disappeared. 
He powered down the blade, so the blade mono disappeared first, and then he mono disappeared. I mono disagree the, with the mono bull stuff. And then, and then it's like you see, like, here's the death swing. And by the way, it's like go, go watch like the prequel videos. They're like all jumping around. Like, and then this this is Vader's death swing. Flores is currently dancing around with his no, 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 watch. Like, this this is the death swing. It gets Obi Wan. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Like he was gonna win a lightsaber fight with this move. <laughs> and then like this was how he was fighting before that part. <laughs> like moving at the speed of snails. Like <laughs> seriously? Of course no wonder like the nineteen year old kid with one fight I me mean, granted oh one lost my hand. Can <laughs> take him in the second fight, he's not quick. Like he's not quick. Dude, he beat the best. He's like, he's like, you know those games that use a regular deck of cards where they have values, you know, three beats two, four yeah. beats three, five beats four, and all, yeah. and you beat all he the beat numbers ace or whatever. He's the two who only beats ace. Oh yeah, this is what I think. Do you ever hear of the Spanish Empire? You know, they own the whole of world. It. You know, like they had like I don't know Peru. I'm not familiar with Mexico. That one. Yeah, okay, I know that one. They owned the whole world, basically, <laughs> sure. right? So sure, that, that probably still. There true. was a war called the Spanish American War, and if you read a history book. It's just one line long. Imagine a 700-year-old grandma in a wheelchair at the top of the stairs with a gigantic pile of money in the bottom of her wheelchair. Now imagine a young American kid coming up behind her and pushing her down the stairs. That's the Spanish-American War. <laughs> And that's actually in history textbooks. That's it. If you look at it, it's like it's one page. It's actually a law that they have to write it that way, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think like, the Spanish the Spanish Empire was like, look, we understand we went down the stairs. There was a lot of money in our wheelchair. But can you just write it a certain way? Our, our people can't read English, so it would be fine. But this, is, this, is the, this is the prescribed textbook we would like to see. Mono textbook. My, yeah. <laughs> Oh god. So, I mean, obviously you did you did coverage this week and what all did that entail? Um basically just, you know, just what it looks like. Um, you know, I I had the I had the privilege of being more of an environmental kind of coverage. I wasn't uh wasn't expected to to do um all of the the feature matches like the other guys did. Um, I mean, four guys for, for nationals here. It's a pretty big crew. The other nationals, Germany and Britain, were also covered this weekend, and they were two-man crews. So they were um, they were probably a little bit busier um, in terms than, than we were. Um, so who, who all was it? It was you and Nate. Nate Price, uh, Dave Guskin, uh, who just recently moved to R&D, and then Monty Ashley. Okay. And he does uh, behind-the-scenes stuff uh, and, and writes for um, you right. know, the Daily MTG. Right. Um, so this was your first time doing doing the coverage kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. What did yep. you think? I I really liked it. I mean, I got to I finally got to um, you know I basically got a free ticket to the insider circle. So like Nate, you know Nate Price and, and all those Wizards guys, uh, you know they know all of the the big names and all of the crews and um, you know everybody's pretty friendly. So I got to to meet a lot of cool people. Um, you know, see a lot of really great magic going on. Hear a lot of really great stories. And um, you know, had a chance to, to kind of peer over the shoulder and watch very closely games between players. You know, playing some really good magic. You know, it definitely uh, definitely opened my eyes to um, just kind of where I you know where I thought I was in terms of understanding the game, and and where I actually am. And you know, the the difference was was a little 
you know, a little disheartening at first, but, uh, you know, as the weekend went on, it, you know, it made me feel like, you know, that, that there's, it, there's room for improvement for everybody, including for, um, you know, the top level players, you know, and that's, and that's part of the game itself is, is just, uh, you know, always looking for the, looking for the things you're missing. Yeah. Now, um, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're more of a casual player. You take pride in that. Um, <laughs> But I guess this weekend you were kind of, you were kind of forced to pay, you know, a lot more attention, I guess, to like Magic on, you know, one of the highest competitive levels, other than like a Pro Tour or Grand Prix, you know. I mean, I think everybody in, you know, everybody in the top sixteen is PT quality. Um, you know, I think if I remember the listing, the uh, I'm not going to dig it up, but the, they they listed everybody who. Who was already invited before the last chance qualifiers? Uh, they posted that list up like a couple weeks ago after okay. regionals uh, were done and all the results were in. And um, I think about half the list was was um, was pro level, you know. Okay. So I mean, majority of the players had either pro tour experience or multiple, you know, pro tours under their belt. Um, you know, I, I think I think you know to say it was pro tour uh, level is, is pretty close to to what you would expect. Sure, um, and I mean, obviously, the top eight list was almost like a who's who. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? It was a grout. Like looking at the top eight list, I'm like, yeah, that looks like whatever comes out of this, we're gonna have a heck of a national team this year. You know, top, top sixteen was a who's who. Top thirty two was just about a who's who. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a solid, solid crew all around. Yeah, definitely. So, but what my question really is, is like, you know, just what were your favorite like out of what because you were you know you had to watch these some of these games up close i saw you sitting there next to one of the on the one of the feature match tables you know yep. typing up whatever you were typing up <laughs> and like i, I could online right i typed is there right but i'm just saying like uh what deck was the most enjoyable for you like watching like it work this weekend watching people play it and, and I mean, hell, why not? What was like the deck that you thought was the most boring deck to watch? Uh, go, you know, go through its motions. Um, since since I spent a lot of time cruising around, I didn't get a chance to to really watch too many matches other than the feature matches I covered. So um, this is just based on the matches I covered, and you can look them up later. But I got to watch um, David Ochoa twice, uh, once uh, once on day two, and then once for the third. For the third, uh, for the third slot runner-up, mm-hmm. and um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Dredgevine deck. Like, as much as it's like, um, it feels like a combo deck. It feels like a blue typeish deck. Like, it just does things that seem like blue would do. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely you know all about just aggro. You know, and instead of instead of finding a way to get a bunch of mana or dumping a bunch of like affinity creatures into play. It's basically like a, I almost want to say it's like affinity in the graveyard because you just dump away extractor demons, which which uh, are really cheap to, to bring back for what they do, and bench vines, which you know you rebuy for free. I mean, it's basically affinity type creature, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and watching, you know, wa- looking at it, you know, I I would see see his hand a little bit. I would see the board, and I you know I looked at the deck list, you know, and I didn't understand you know, what is he. What is he trying to do? You know, and I still don't understand exactly how that deck works. Which it, you know, it's probably fine. I'm not. I don't have to. But um, the things that he did, and uh, you know, he definitely knew how his deck worked. And even looking at you know, like um, in the in the runner-up match, you know, um, like an Ulamog coming into play. 
you know, he wasn't, you know, he he would look at what's going on, you know, and, and find a way out of it if he had it, you know. It was, um, he was playing some very, very good magic, and I really appreciated, um, you know, what he was doing. Probably the most boring deck, um, the, it was just the, 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 the quarterfinal match I covered today, um, between, uh, Kolos and, um, yeah, I was just looking at these guys, you know, for an hour and a half earlier today, and I can't remember the other name already. Yeah. Um, I'm tired. I'm not as tired as Joey, but I'm yeah. getting there. Um, it was it was just a, a uh, um, Eldrazi ramp deck against uh, Eric Froelich. Sorry. There yeah. we go. Yeah, he's a, he's a poker guy now. Um, still a really good Magic player, too. And, um, you know, basically at the first, you know, four turns or so, we're, we're just... Land, ramp, land, land, ramp. And um, what was what was he playing? The, uh, Eric Furler? Eric. He had, um, he, I call it a destructive force deck, but really it's just like a, it's, it's like um, a Planeswalker type um, kind of lock deck almost. It's, it's like Super Friends that just like gets the ramp too. It just does unfair stuff like drops a Jenny Vengeance, starts locking your things down, and and has uh, you know other planeswalkers and it. it has destructive force, so it gets a head and board, gets a planeswalker or two down, and then like blows all the lands away. So you're stuck trying to fight back against you know Vengeance, which assumably locks down yet another land that you replay. Um, you know, but uh, but Colo's deck, um, which was which put him in the third slot for the Nationals team, um, was a Drazi ramp, and it was uh, it, it was scary. It was just you know it was just ramp, and if the ramping wasn't stopped. Um, Eventually, just you know, sick, disgusting Eldrazi creatures just started getting barfed, and um, you know, it was like, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Primeval Titan, disgusting creatures. You know, it was just all at once, do nothing, and then everything happened. And um, you know, as much as like big creatures, it just, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, it was basically like a combo deck, but it actually it was the combo. Like it was just like if you. Barf and Eldrazi out. Do you have an O ring? If the answer is no, you go to the next game. Right. Cool. Sounds good. Definitely. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. It's getting late, and I don't even know. Like, you look like you're gonna die. Like, you look so pale. Like, I think it's the yeah. computer screen light shining on you. Yeah, I don't feel pale. But you look like <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel pale. Says Joey Pasco. That is like that's an awesome quote. All right. Well, this is. Big head Joe. Oh, you said pale, and this is Joey Pale. And I can't think of any like bucket references for Adam Staborski, but this is Adam Staborski here, and we're signing off. Say goodnight to our loyal listeners. Good night. It's a very sensuous good night. EOMTG Taps is available every Friday on StarCityGames.com. Visit our website. I want my mtg.com for past episodes, t-shirts, free stickers, and more. You can contact us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at yomtgtaps. What color is your lightsaber? I don't know. I never thought about it. I mean, Big Head Joe doesn't qualify. I, I, He's like, he, can't, he doesn't know where the on switch is. <laughs>
I'm an Ewok. He's an Ewok who's got a stone spear. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most ludicrous thing ever. Okay, I, just think about scale in the Star Wars universe. Okay, the Empire. Do you know how many planets the Empire controls? At, at, while, while Palpatine is in charge of the Empire, twelve million planets. Not twelve. That's a lot of bookkeeping. Okay, like, not yeah. twelve <laughs> planets. Okay, like, imagine how much resources you would have if you had twelve planets, like twelve planet Earths, for example. You know how we have infighting, like, oh, I want oil. Oh, we have Google over on this side of the country. That, that's one planet. Imagine you have 12 of those. Now multiply that by a million, okay? They lost a war on a small moon to uh, the gummy bears with, uh, <laughs> with uh, stone spears and uh, running around. Like, oh, they don't even talk. But they, but they throw nets on people with, like, plasma cannons. <laughs> You think they have like 11 million and change planets left over after losing a fight on a small moon? But no. <laughs> Apparently that was the war. <laughs> like, oh well. <laughs> Remember that time Teddy Bear defeated our shield generator? Well, what happened next? Turned off the shield generator. Well, and then what? They blew up our space station. Well, we didn't even have a space station during the second movie. We seem to be getting along fine, except for that one snow planet and the Yeti guy. He already beat up their Jedi. They had to cut that cow in half and put him inside. You know, we were fine without that. Well, loss of the space station was very significant for the Empire. What about the Emperor? Was he dead? I don't know. We didn't have any bookkeeping, like Patrick. There was no records of who should run the remaining 11 million planets. <laughs> when when uh, when he apparently died in the space station, like, there wasn't nothing written down, if, and they were all force choked by Vader. A, if you had an empire with 12 million, 12 planets, million planets, with 12 million planets, first of all, they don't have warp drive in Star Wars, do they? Uh, they do. How, wait, how, does it work the same way as Star Trek by magnet, magnet, like orders of ten or whatever? Or is I it, mean, they, they move faster than light. So. Whatever it is. Think about how long it would take to relay the message that the Empire's over. <laughs> Twelve million planets? They don't have Google. I know they don't have Wikipedia. There. How? How can you translate the information? Especially when it's on the Ewok planet. They don't even talk on Wait. that planet. They're like, like, you think those guys have Google? <laughs> they don't even Google. Have... But the thing is, like this, like you couldn't send the message to the other side of the Empire in time. It would probably take hundreds and hundreds of years traveling faster than the speed of light just to tell people the party's over. So I don't understand how that was the end of. I was just thinking about it last, like, maybe like two weeks ago. I put it out, like, on the Finkel draft list. I'm like, anyone ever think about this? Like, <laughs> that's like so there's the a village in North Dakota yeah, yeah. Where, some, where, where a couple of vigilantes just decide the United States is over. <laughs> yeah, this is a very good, except for if you were, like, a village in Saskatchewan that decided that the United States was over. That would be a better example. So, but that's, I think, basically what happened in that movie, and I just don't understand. Like, there was 11 million, 999 planets left. Like, planet, this was a moon that they yeah. had to start. Some of them were probably bigger than Earth. I, I'm sure. Like, I, I, I can just I mean, only assume. At least they're, they're, one. They're, like, our space station, it basically just carries my space print message so that I can get text messaging. Their space station is as big as a moon and can shoot down whole planets one shot at a time. I assume they have planets bigger than Earth.